thought it was kind of wild when you told me you saw Black Adam that at the end of the film, even after what apparently is the best post-credit scene of all time, oh yeah, that you just stood up and just started chanting "Evil dies tonight" in the IMAX. <laughs> I you, turned to the crowd and I raised my fist, and we all began chanting you "Evil were, dies tonight." You were crying in the yeah. theater. Dwayne Johnson dies tonight. <laughs> DC dies tonight. DC dies tonight. Oh, it's been a while. It's, it's been a minute. We've been we've been busy. Especially yeah, you've been busy. I've been busy. I've been working nights more than anything. So it's this is yeah, October has been my busiest time and also it's busy for you because while I'm just working nights, you also have I mean we I yeah, mean Heartland and Yeah, just last well, was it a week ago, I guess? Yeah, I kind of wrapped up uh wrapped up Heartland. That was that's always kind of like the first half of October for yeah. me mm-hmm. is really busy with Heartland. And the whole month is busy for you with uh, your your job. Yeah, um, it is what it is. So it also is thing. I mean, it's nice this October because there wasn't a lot coming out. Yeah. Except for a certain film that is involved in what we're discussing today. But <laughs> you know, I mean, out of out of Heartland, uh, you mean Black Adam? Yes, You're right. yes. Right. The hierarchy is about to change. We're going to yeah. talk about uh, films that maybe shouldn't have The Rock, but do. Right. Uh, there's there's a lot I think in that. What what films? Would, if that was an actual trilogy, what would be with Black Adam in that? Films that I, shouldn't feature The Rock but do. I think you know what Jungle Cruise might be a good choice. Yeah, Jungle. That's a weird. Which yeah. I mean, it's funny because of the, because I mean, yeah, I've told you, it, not gonna spoil it for the the audience. You know, the twist of Jungle Cruise, <laughs> but like his character in particular has a very unique historical edge to it that is just hilarious once it's revealed because it's just clearly. There could have been an actor that fit that a bit better oh, sure. than Dwayne the Rock Johnson in sure. that response. But yeah, I mean yeah, he's you're doing that. But like while you're looking for all that, you've we've actually again, we haven't seen each other since we recorded the last episode, really. Real yeah. Just I a guess little bit true. here and there. We did we both saw Till. That is something that that's we did true. together. That was a Heartland thing that we was, did together. Yes, and that was a uh, very Great, powerful film. Yeah, Will good. not watch again for a while because it's very hard, <laughs> but it's worth seeing and it needs to be seen in theaters because I think it definitely deserves that support, especially yeah. with the, the story it's telling. And my God, what a phenomenal performance by Daniel Deadweiler as Mamie Till. Yes. I'm hoping she gets some recognition. I think she will because I feel like that movie is, and I don't mean this as a slight because it's a great movie, but it's enough it's accessible enough and it's yes. enough of a crowd pleaser it's it's not crowd pleasing in the sense that it's like fun but like oh my gosh no you know anybody can watch that movie and be moved by it and understand it and you know yeah um so i i would think she would be a front runner um for for lead um but yeah but the whale that's what i was going to ask oh yes because we haven't talked to because you got to the, you the got gender. to see the biggest because the biggest thing at heartland this year at least because I mean, there's a lot of phenomenal films that go through heartland they got a being. great selection this yeah. year yeah i mean and they've been getting bigger and better mm-hmm. films each year and also all the films that they've had are just like great across the board usually but this one was the biggest one because of the tide of brennan fraser you know mm-hmm. sadie sink who also has you know been killing it with stranger things you know people loved her in the last season of stranger things and also it's Darren Aronofsky's is it right. his first film since Mother? Uh, I think it is. I think so. So it's been a while since yeah. uh, a lot. I mean, Aronofsky's been in the light recently, and with Frazier just getting a lot more love in a public sense to have this film kind of hit the festival market. Yeah. 
that was a big deal. And what do you think? Um, yeah. So the whale is awesome. I liked. Ooh, I loved it. That's I th- good. I that's thought good. it was I really like great. It. I was a little worried going into it because of some of the buzz it got from. Uh, was it was it Can or was it Venice? It might have been Venice. Might have been Venice. Yeah. Uh, where it like premiered and. Uh, Brendan got a lot of praise for his performance, but then there was a lot of discourse back and forth about, you know, this this movie kind of feeds into the the tired Hollywood trope of like fat equals sad, and you yeah. know, being f- fat is bad, and and you know, your life is miserable when you're fat, and that's that whole sort of narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was a little nervous, especially because. Aronofsky has a tendency to be pretty like heavy-handed with things. He, yes, I he can be. I haven't vi- revisited it in a while, but I really did not like Mother, um, and I was afraid it would kind of <laughs> register on, on that wavelength for I, me. I will say, I think when I, because again, I wasn't able to see it with you, but I do remember if anything from the press before the Heartland release really made me think, oh, thank God. It's a good thing they're comparing that in his career, but they were comparing the film in Aronofsky's career to The Wrestler. Yeah, yeah. Which The Wrestler, I think, arguably might be, if not his best film, it is definitely his easiest, like, crowd-pleasing. Like, if you're trying to introduce someone to Aronofsky, yeah. this shows a lot of his strengths because outside of that, it gets very weird on yeah. both angles. Yeah, this The Whale is absolutely... That's the closest thing in his filmography I could compare which it to. perfect. Um, I'll take that. And, yeah, I, I ended... I had my concerns um but but it ended up really wowing me and you know i i was just really (laughs) i was relieved but i was also impressed and moved by the fact that like the whole emotional thrust of it has like almost nothing to do with his size and his Mm -hmm. weight i mean his you know physical situation is obviously dictated by the fact that he's a 600 pound man with all sorts of health complications Mm -hmm. from that but like the core of what's going on in the story and and his emotional arc and the kind of takeaways from it are more about who he is as a person and kind of the i mean just the this the struggles of of mental health and and depression and people's inability to see their own worth yeah that's kind of what it all ends up kind of playing into and brandon fraser's phenomenal also hong chow is phenomenal and i feel like she's not getting enough attention for the hong chow's in it yeah oh wow she's like his his nurse like she comes and visits him Hmm. in home um okay she's incredible he's awesome i mean sadie sink's really good too it's i mean it's a very tight you know you can feel that this would like work as a stage play Mm -hmm. um but it doesn't feel like maladapted for the screen in any way Aronofsky's incredibly restrained behind the camera for like 90% of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he has his Aronofsky moments where you're like, ah, there he is. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it's it's a really moving and sweet and I think thoughtful, thoughtful movie. And it's definitely going to yeah. be up there at the end of the year when I'm talking about my favorite movies. Oh, sweet. That's awesome. I'm yeah. glad to hear that, especially with, again, because it, it's gotten the most, a lot of the buzz this yeah. year. I mean, that decision to leave. Which yes. I'm excited. I cannot wait for a supposedly release. out in some places in the U.S. I, well, it's a yeah. shame it's not here. Yeah, it's a fool <laughs> game not to have it out here because I want to see it so bad. Yeah, 
Yeah. But um, yeah. I mean, that's good because I was, again, yeah. Aronofsky's one of those guys where it's like he's the fact that you can look at his career and go, Requiem for a Dream, okay. Wrestler, okay. Noah, mm-hmm. <laughs> Mother, okay. And then the whale. And oh, I there's guess Black, definitely Black Swan is one that a Black lot of people Swan. have seen. Black and Swan's like. good. Yeah. I mean, Black Swan's great. Uh, it's basically a weaker man's perfect blue. <laughs> but he knows that. Everyone he knows, knows that. The cowards out there that deny it, don't <laughs> let it deny it. Black Swan's still great. Right. Even though it literally takes a lot of the elements from perfect I feel like blue. Black Swan is like a lot of people's, maybe not first, but like one one of their earliest, like. At least people of our age group, like, oh, dark and fucked up movie. Yeah. It's... Like, I mean, I remember seeing it in, I don't know, middle school or high school or whatever when it came out and just being like, whoa, that's a wild movie. Can't it... believe they make movies like that. Which is funny, too, because I would argue, too, that, like, that is that is to the 2000s what Whiplash is to the 2010s yeah. in terms of just the, the obsession of a craft yeah, to right, a point right. of toxicity. Yeah. And well, it's they're just only like, one year apart, too. Are they only really one year? I think apart? Whiplash is twenty eleven. No, twenty. I thought Black no, I, that might be the original film. Black Swan is twenty ten. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, th- well, they both feel like. Shoot, when is Whiplash? That is a good call. It, no, they just both felt like different eras version of the same yeah. kind of story, and not in a bad way. Because again, the amount of stories that are constantly kind of shaped and turned into yeah. unique situations. I mean, yeah. Oh, gosh. I'm glad to hear that The Whale is good. Because mm-hmm. Aronofsky's one of those guys where it's like, if it goes either way, it's like, well, I'm not necessarily surprised when I hear yeah. most of the... Yeah. Well, and I was I was just, in general, really excited to be able to block out the time to be more involved in Heartland this year in terms yeah. of att- attending movies. Because, yeah, they had a great selection. It's a lot of movies that like aren't coming out for a while still. Like, The Whale doesn't come out till December, I don't think. It doesn't surprise me. And... I saw Empire of Light too. That doesn't come out till December. That's right. You did. You thought it was. I think we t- we talked about I it off really mic. Like yeah, it. <laughs> you're, you're kind of mid at best yeah. in some places, and um, of course, yeah. Till I and <clears throat> Broker, um, the latest film starring uh, Song Kang Ho. Oh, we we stand that man in this yeah. household. So go. Yeah, I forgot. Yeah, because he's also because his sister is played by the same woman in that film that plays his sister in the host. Right. If I remember correctly as yeah. well. Yeah. Uh, who, name I've forgotten. I do not want to butcher. Yeah. Uh, but she's in a myriad of Korean films. But yeah. but that was, that was a really cute movie, too. Good. Good. For those who don't recognize his name, he's the father of the family in Parasite. Yeah, we, on a rise of Bong. We basically just talk that man up. Yes. He's, he's, yeah. He's all over that yeah, trilogy. He's literally in... Uh, well, he's not in the first film, but right. he's in sec- the second and third, and both are just yeah. phenomenal to watch, especially with him in it. But, yeah, no, I mean, besides, I mean, I mean, yeah, the season has just been not bad films. These last co- these no. last couple weeks have had, like, good films cons- cons- consistent. I have not seen Smile, but I know you have. Oh, I really liked Smile, I which I was shocked by. That That's keeping its legs, which yeah. I appreciate, and, until, you know, the hierarchy of DC changed in, in our <laughs> very eyes. It is now leading the box office. But that's, that's probably my big surprise of the year so far, of, like, movies I went in, like, ready to hate, ready to, like, talk yeah. shit about. And then came out, and I was like, damn, I had a really good time with that. And not, like, in an ironic way. Yeah, I think, honestly, this this season has been mainly me just trying to watch spooky-related yeah. stuff more than anything. I got a – my roommate, Adam, and I have been going – we went through the first two Hellraiser films, and that's been 
a blast. <laughs> I'm so excited to watch three. It was, we had a phenomenal moment when I we watched two. We, and then we like watched a, a trailer for three to get amped. Then I was like, let's watch the trailer for the new one because I've yet to watch that because mm-hmm. I kind of wanted to get into the originals again because I'd only seen the first one. Yeah. And we watched the trailer for the new one and we both went, oh, it's that thing. And Adam looked at me and went, I hate that I know that now. <laughs> and that was, we both just laughed where it's like, wow, we just watched a film that introduced that and we knew exactly what that was out the gate. <laughs> is, so, uh, is the new one a, is it like a, is it a remake, it's or, a, or does it continue the story? I think it's a remake okay. because the story's ass and now, <laughs> okay. like now, because it's like I think because like Hellraiser, I think the remake is the tenth film technically of Hellraiser, okay. maybe the ninth. Like it's yeah. it's at a certain point because in all honesty, and if you want this out there, please tell us because I would do it again in a heartbeat. It really is like the first three films are its own thing trilogy wise, mm-hmm. and then like after that. Basically, Dimension Films turned, like, you know, like, schlocky kind of horror scripts that, like, no one would pick up and then just made it Hellraiser-related. <laughs> yeah. And that was the series for, like, the last 20 years. Sure. And so now, the, and the guy that directed the newest Hellraiser directed, we just saw a film of his last year. He did The Night House. Yeah. Which was a film that I I really enjoyed a lot and I think would have been a lot better if certain tweaks were made, but I think you overall... You mean like if they made it a Hellraiser movie? Yes, yes. <laughs> that was really... I thought like I was watching... Just watching Rebecca Hall go through grief went like, right. God, if Pinhead just showed if up... only she got her face ripped off. If yeah. only Pinhead just like showed up and was like, how can I help? Really <laughs> could just change this film. Oh, well. But anyway, hello, everyone. I'm Logan Sowash. And I'm Andy Carr. This is Odd Trilogies with Logan and Andy. And on Odd Trilogies, we take a trio of films, whether tied by numerical order, cast and crew, thematic elements. We go through each film and discuss the good, the bad, and the weird surrounding them. And today, we brought it up a few weeks ago. You know what we're talking about (laughs) today. It is the big trilogy end that well the trilogy just ended yeah literally like a week from when we're recording this because you know we always record live <laughs> and we now have a trilogy in terms of david gordon green's halloween trilogy mm-hmm. which is 2018's halloween 2021's halloween kills and 2022's halloween ends yeah now streaming on peacock <laughs> as oh i mean as of this recording maybe it's on hbo max now because uh, that's the that's the funny thing. I mean, gosh, that, I, try, that trying to go back and watch this trilogy is so funny just because <laughs> yes. they're all so new and none of them are in the same place. Halloween, I'm, you can't like 2018. I'm, you cannot stream. You can rent it I'm or you. you can buy it. I watched it in YouTube clips. Um, I mean, I'd, I'd seen it before, but I've seen, it was my third time watching it. But on this rewatch, I watched it in you know what like 30 parts on youtube that could have been the best way to watch it i don't i don't <laughs> uh yeah that's i mean again if you literally if anyone if someone told me hey you should do an odd trilogies episode of just how fucking whack streaming rights are i could talk about that for hours yeah Cause it's fucking insane how it's like literally last year halloween kills was a peacock exclusive right got a lot of traction a lot of uh, like tra- hbo max exclusive no, that's the thing. It was a Peacock exclusive last year. Oh. But the thing, though, is like with streaming rights, you know, HBO usually gets, you know, the more recent stuff yeah. after a few months. Yeah. It picked up Halloween Kills a few months after its Peacock exclusivity, <laughs> and it's been on HBO Max since then. Right, yeah. But, like you said, if you want to watch Halloween 2018, 
the way that I did it is literally rented it on Prime, then went to HBO Max to watch Kills, and then fucking watched Ends on yeah, Peacock. Yeah. And it's so fucking funny to think, like, because, again, people, again, understandably, most people are just going to assume, like, it's going to be in one place. Yeah, well, because it's why all one studio, all it's one director, yeah. three-year span, or nice four try. years. Nice try. No. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck that. What a wild. You got to make that money streaming-wise, right. so we sell it to other companies. Yeah. But, yeah, we're talking about the Halloween trilogy that is, I don't, I, uh, yeah, it's probably the most controversial. I will, I will, maybe. Most controversial Halloween trilogy? Oh, Wait, my what? God. Yeah, Andy, there are, there are multiple trilogies I know, Halloween. but isn't, like, everything except the original movie controversial? It, you, oh, my God. <laughs> That's the thing. That's the thing is, hopefully, when I say this, I'll be wrong in three months. That's my goal, yeah. saying something that blatant, because... The craziest thing about this is that these three films are the 11th, 12th, and 13th film yeah. in the Halloween franchise. If you want a real just fast, you know, this is what Halloween's <laughs> been the last. Course. Oh, it's easy. You know, Halloween comes out in 78, makes 70 million off of like less than a million like, dollars. Yeah, 20 dollars. So of course they want to make a sequel. John Carpenter and Deborah Hill. Don't give half a shit. Yeah. However, if they're being asked and they want to be a part of it, Carpenter and Deborah go, okay, we'll make the story, and I, Carpenter, will do the score if that's what you want. And so Halloween 2 comes out three years later in 81, and the big thing about that film is that they reveal, even though that was never intentional <laughs> in the first film, that Michael Myers is Laurie Strode's uh, brother. brother. Yeah. And here's the thing, too. I will try not to spoil these sequels, but we are definitely going to be talking in depth about these new sequels. So just keep yeah, that in mind I mean, going forward with this podcast because yeah. we have to dig in deep, especially with ends, because there's a lot of things that ends that are not in the marketing. Yeah, I would a say at, at least as we move through each film in the trilogy, you can mm -hmm. expect that as we move to that film, we're yeah. in spoiler territory. Yes, like, yes. So after that. Halloween 3 comes out. Halloween 3 has no Michael Myers because Carpenter and his buddy, I think Tommy Lee Wallace, directs that film. Mm. They're like, let's make this an anthology franchise. The fans fucking hate it. <laughs> Just out the gate because it has no Michael Myers. Yeah. And so they go, fuck it, we're done. So uh, the Akkads, who I think at the time the rights are owned by Mustafa Akkad, the, the late Mustafa Akkad, uh, he produces and they do the thorn trilogy which is right. four five and six which is the return of michael myers the revenge of michael myers and the curse of michael myers which is i believe 87 89 and 92 mm. <laughs> like i think i think curse might have been pushed more because the thing about it is like that trilogy basically brings back michael retcons a lot of things that were kind of cool about too yeah. and makes it just another slasher series <laughs> And then six, happening to feature Michael Myers. Yeah, and then there's some weird shit with a cult that's happening. And then the last film in that trilogy is just so butchered by the studio mm. that because there's some insane fucking decisions that were made that were still left in that film, yeah. which might come up because I think it has to. We have to compare the other Halloween sequels to the treatment of these current sequels because <laughs> I think it's fucking ridiculous to talk about kills and ends as if. They're the worst things to happen to this franchise. Right. When in right. reality, it is, it's so much worse when yeah. you dig into it. Yeah. So, Dimension Films buys the rights to Halloween. They co produce uh, Curse of Michael Myers. Doesn't do well. 98, they bring it back home with the strong, 
totally wonderfully titled Halloween H2O 20 years later yeah. where Jamie Lee comes back where they go, hey, guess what? Halloween 2 through 6 never happened. Mm-hmm. We're just going to make a straight sequel to the first film, but we are keeping the Michael is Laurie's brother tw- twist <laughs> for 2. So they make that. That movie makes $70 million on off of 15. People, the fans loved it, and so they make a sequel to that called Resurrection, and Jamie Lee Curtis didn't want to come back to that, so they kill Laurie in the first 10 minutes. And then they try to make a new uh, Laurie Strode to an extent, and no yeah. one wanted that. And so, and also Busta Rhymes is in it, and so is Tyra Banks. Right, and then along comes Mr. Zombie. Yes, and so Dimension still has the rights. They're, I think they're getting to the point of, like, they might run out of time if they don't make a film. And, of course, Rob Zombie, who... At this point, has made House of a Thousand Corpses and The Devil's Rejects, which I don't necessarily know. I don't think they were heavy hitters. It's Rob Zombie. I think they were yeah. big in a in a genre sense, mm-hmm. and I think even critically did a lot better than anyone would have expected. Especially uh, Devil's yeah. Rejects, because I think Devil's Rejects I think is considered his best film. Yeah. And so Zombie has an idea of his version of like the original Halloween, and so in 2007 he makes. Rob Zombie's Halloween, mm-hmm. and that makes about eighty million, yeah. which again on fifteen million, so yeah, which again even again despite mixed reviews from practically everybody, <laughs> it made eighty million. So of course that leads to H two, Halloween two, right? From Rob Zombie a few years later, and it's fucking bonkers. It's literally <laughs> the only one in the franchise that I've now not seen fully, but I've seen clips, and I go. Yeah. What art house shit is this? <laughs> yeah. I don't understand. I'm so confused. The yeah. film makes, I think, it's 40. Also, from what I hear, like the most brutal in the entire series. I'm not in surprised. Terms of violence. I'm not surprised because it's a zombie. I mean, yeah. his first his first remake is very much like, yeah, we'll do the original, but also like we're going to make it real fucked. Also, it's a yeah, 2000s. Yes. Slasher Again, this movie. is the height of Saul to an extent. Yeah, right. In terms of Torture the popularity. Porn and yeah. Shit. And then, you know, H Halloween two happens and it doesn't really make its money. It makes its money back to an extent, but not enough. It made it feels half like... as much as the first one. Yes. And so after that, two projects go into effect with Dimension Films. I be- I don't know what the both of them are. I believe one of them was a possible H three. It was a possible yeah, it was, third film in Zombie. Three D. Was it really? Yes. It was, it, yeah, Halloween yeah. 3D, but Rob mm-hmm. Zombie had wanted, wanted nothing to do with it. Makes sense. Yeah. Okay, you know what? Good for you, Zombie. I appreciate <laughs> that. And so Dimension, having a hard time figuring out what the fuck they want to do with Halloween, they lose the rights to a little uh, mom-and-pop shop company. You've probably heard of them. I don't know if you have. Uh, called Blumhouse. Mm. And Blumhouse buys the rights, uh, actually have John Carpenter involved for the yeah. first time in like 30 years. Right. And in the process, decide that, like, hey, we could do this again. And Carpenter, who did not like, I think, at least the last 20 years of how the <laughs> series have been done, probably didn't like from four onward. Yeah. He decided he had an idea of, like, what could be done story-wise. And then in comes the two most unsuspecting horror fanatics that come in and try to then make this trilogy, which are writer-director David Gordon Green and actor-writer Danny McBride, <laughs> who you might know David Gordon Green's work as, you know, the super scary Your Highness, right? the horrifying Pineapple Express, <laughs> and the uh, terrifying The Sitter. 
Right. So a, a comedy mainly known for like a raunchy comedy director, at least at the time. Yeah. He eventually uh, ventured more into like drama and even got did, like yes. Oscar attention there. Mm-hmm. And then Danny McBride, who is fucking known for uh, most of those films that I announced, yeah. as well as Eastbound, Eastbound and Down. And so, and he's made his mark as a basically just the perfect guy to house, like cast if you want an asshole. Yeah. And douche. Dude, yeah. which, speaking of Danny McBride, Righteous Jim Jones slaps. Oh. I love that fucking show. I just wanted to throw that out there. Moving back to this. <laughs> so basically, David Gordon Green and Danny McBride are like, hey, we're fans. We have an idea. Now we're here. We're now, now from fucking 1978 to now 2018, 40 years later. We're here at <laughs> Halloween 2018. <laughs> yes, which notably, like H2O, 2018 erases everything that came before besides the original film, which now means if we're going on the current canon, the first two films in the series are Halloween and Halloween. Yes. And, and it's, and it's again, the most fascinating thing about the fact of 2018 is the fact that it's the first Halloween sequel to <laughs> not use, in, in 40 years, to not use the Laurie is Michael's sister right. twist. To totally erase everything yeah. besides the first movie. It is. Cause I, and I think the reason, again, why they decided to do this is because... I mean, I was one of those people that for the longest time, I always assumed that Halloween, like that twist was ingrained in the original film. It's part, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because I mean, it's one of those things where I think, I mean, Gen X thought that too. And I sure. think, because like, like. It was like I, a, yeah, it was like a Mandela effect you know, well, thing. I Everybody sh- just kind of assumed it was always there. I shit you not, Andy. I don't even know if you know this, but when Halloween started doing its television run, when it was, when they were in production for Halloween 2, they shot scenes to add into Halloween that ties into more of the twist in Halloween too. Oh. So there is a television cut of Halloween. So they, they wanted people to believe that that was always the plan. Yes. Wow. Yes. Okay. So they basically tricked people into thinking this was always the plan. <laughs> and so you get to Halloween 2018 and like as soon as the – because there's a joke in the film where basically Lori's granddaughter Allison goes like, yeah, there's a rumor that he was related to her and that's not real. Like, as soon as that showed up in the trailer, people, like, shat themselves because they were like, oh, fuck, you're right. That was never intentional. That was just (laughs) a sequel thing that was added. And, yeah, 2018 is interesting. Yeah. And I think the reason why it's mainly interesting, at least for me, is the, uh, the retrospective appeal to it. Like, in terms of the retrospection of fans talking about this film. Because in my opinion... This might be the most controversial thing I'll say mm. of these three films. I think this is the weakest, technically. Well, you're not controversial on the I, on the podcast I knew, because I, I also it. like this one the least. I knew you were gonna say that because here's the fucking thing: is like last year, because again we talked about kills last year when it was a new film, because at yeah. least because that, that was like having having it in like real time, having people just shit on these on kills, just like blew my mind yeah because it was insane to like watch 2018 because i remember watching 2018 in theaters and just being like god that was a good time not perfect don't know if i'd really say great (laughs) but it's a good foundation to build something off of if they make more films Mm -hmm. and to go back to 2018 this year this is like i think the third maybe fourth time i've seen it yeah i didn't i didn't see it youtube clip wise (laughs) i I fucking buckled down and watched the whole thing 
I just can't help but just be confused by some of the wild decisions the film makes that arguably should just be critiqued and criticized as other sequel like other ideas the sequels get. Yeah. Uh, what's I guess the question I want to ask you, because uh, I mean the premise for Halloween 2018 is it's been 40 years. They're treating this like this is the the new Halloween two to an extent. Yeah. Despite the title, uh, Michael breaks out of prison or uh, mental institution. And Lori, who has basically home alone her entire house and has basically learned uh, firearms expertise, is yeah. just been waiting for him to attack. Yeah, that I remember at the time thinking like, oh, duh. Like, if you're going to make a sequel that's supposedly the first sequel since the original, um, you know, yeah, of course, make Lori a badass. Now it feels like very goofy, like like very like... Huh. It's, it's it feels very in line with like some, where some of the other sequels go, the earlier sequels go of just like mm-hmm. doing crazy ideas. You know, I mean, the Laurie Michael sibling thing. You know, it's like, oh yeah, now now Laurie's just a fucking killing machine badass who decked yeah. out her home, and it's like, okay, it's, uh, interesting. Yeah, it, it's it's fascinating too the fact that it's like this is technically out of these three films, this is the Laurie film. This yeah. is mainly the film where we get all the backstory we kind of need in terms of like what Lori's been doing for the last 40 years. There's even, I mean, she gets basically, you know, you know, homage shots to like, you know, what Michael got, you know, like in the original film, there are shots yeah. where Michael's, you know, from across the street watching her. And then, you know, in this one, she's watching her granddaughter the same way from across right. the street and, you know, disappears the same way as Michael does in like a certain part in the original film. And, you know, it's it's clearly this is Laurie's film because, you know, there's so much time dedicated, especially the first hour. Like, again, this is a film that's nearly uh, two hours. All these, mm-hmm. all three of these films are about 100, 110 minutes. And it's kind of fascinating to think that, like, this film is considered the banging one of the trilogy because, in all honesty, like, it's the first 45 minutes is, like, the climax of it to an extent is Michael getting out and also, like, Laurie being drunk. At, a, yeah. at an Applebee's, and it's like, oh, this is this is odd. I, but I, I'm enjoying it. Like it's. I <laughs> almost think when people think about this movie as the coolest of the trilogy, or the most badass, or action packed, or whatever, they're thinking of like the the single sequence in the middle of the movie, the like one where Michael's just walking through town killing people. And you know what? That is the best scene in this whole fucking <laughs> it's film. A great sequence. I fucking love that. But sequence. it's also not, you know. Uh, not the entire movie. This is this is very much, and I think it's hilarious that you watch it basically in YouTube clips to an extent, because <laughs> that's just basically what I would call 2018 to an extent. Like the best scenes Our you clips. can find on YouTube. Yeah. It's well, like you it's know clips the funny part. And... Funny part about me watching it in clips. I didn't even get to watch the one or in one clip. Oh, it was broken up into two clips. Oh no, really? I found a one or in one clip. Damn. Well, yeah, no. I mean, like if you go to like okay, movie clips where they have like 10 clips of a movie, you know. Yeah. yeah. Then you can watch it all in one clip. I found a playlist that was the entire oh, movie oh, just yeah. cut up into like 3 to 5 minute segments, <laughs> and so they cut right in the middle of that one and I was like, oh, damn it. That's so stupid. Um, but yeah. I'd I... seen it twice before anyway, so mm-hmm. it's like I knew what it was. But yeah, it is it is a film that at times, I mean, a, a good chunk of the film shows that I think later on will show even more the creativity and also just the dedication that both David Gordon Green and McBride, Danny McBride, have with trying to make a genuinely 
like scary, serious, and also kind of introspective Halloween trilogy. Yeah. Because again, that's the thing too is people say like, well, the reason why kills and ends feel so weird is because this wasn't planned. Motherfucker, you think they're not going to make <laughs> their money back? Right. Like immediately. Like this is a film that was yeah. made. This was apparently made on $10 million. Oh, wow. Adding Jamie Lee Curtis to this automatically makes that money back almost immediately. Because, <laughs> right, yeah. like, that's what H2O did. H2O yeah. added Jamie Lee Curtis, and boom. Quarter of a million dollars this movie made on yeah. $10 million. I know. I mean, it's... And also... It also looks a lot better than $10 million, honestly. Yeah, and kills and ends are both 20 I think yeah. ends might be closer to 25 But, like, even then, it's like... They're made on a budget that is very serviceable when it comes to, mm-hmm. like, especially thankfully during a pandemic where it's like it makes it can make its money back even when less people are going into theaters. Right. But I mean, yeah, it's it's like there's no way they went they went into this and not like had conversations with Jason Blum and Universal and even Carpenter about like, yeah, if this does well, we could probably do two more. Like, I guess. Yeah. Because trilogies are all the rage; they'll never die. Trilogies. <laughs> Evil might die tonight, but trilogies won't. It's... Well, was this not planned as a trilogy? Because the, the ending of this film certainly, well, and lots of elements set up in this film, you know, even just the, the ending aside, feel like, yeah, we're starting a new chapter in this story. It's interesting because to me, the way that Halloween 2018 kind of runs its way is like, it feels like it's very much like this is the first of three films, but green and mcbride and like everyone involved does a great job of basically making it like worst case scenario if this movie only makes a dollar this is a good self-contained story that's because i think the ending of this film is very much a good self-contained ending that like if it never got another film or so it's like it's solid enough Mm. like i think it already makes its upper echelon of halloween films just by not being Being shit absolutely awful yeah and i think like but then i i swear and I'd have to look it up here. I think I have it. But at a certain point, I think it was like a month or two after 2018 came out where Universal released like basically just kind of like a clip show or like a shot of the house on fire and basically said mm-hmm. like Michael Myers and Laurie Strode's saga is not ending. And they said like on October 16th, 2020, Halloween right. kills. And then on October 15th, 2021, Halloween ends. Yeah. Cuz like when when the film made its money, I think the same year they did announce they were going to do two films back to back in the year. Uh-huh. And which means that of course they're probably filming those films back to back. And nothing's ever going to get in between that. <laughs> well, anyway, I mean, I think at the time I mean I, I think I the best option, I think honestly this is the best way I think you can make a film especially that you want to make a franchise. You don't make it that if it doesn't get its franchise, it kind of is like a limp noodle right. narratively yeah. where it doesn't feel like, oh, we're just never going to get resolution on that. <laughs> like, it's just like, oh, I guess this is just, you know, a failure that never will get, you know, resu- right. like resolution, which is in this. It's like the way that this ends, it even ends in a way that like is very similar to the to the original where it's like Michael just disappears in the house. Mm-hmm. That last shot at the end of Halloween 2018 is like he's in the basement and then he's not. Yeah. And then, then it's like gone. what? It's like what the fuck does that mean? And then you yeah. find out in kills, it's just he's a sneaky little scamp. <laughs> he finds somewhere to hide. Right. But, you know, it, I think like you know, Green and McBride did have the 
kind of like the due diligence in Carpenter and Curtis. Because, again, Jamie Lee Curtis, is, I think it's her first time as executive producer yeah. on the series. They all just kind of like, they're like, we're going to put all of our chips into this first film, but still have a little bit left over. Yeah. A secret pile that if it does well, we'll pull it out and be like, surprise, we have an idea for sequels. <laughs> and ultimately what that leads to is, a, is an initial film that I think is a lot of fun. I think it's good. I enjoy the film. I don't regret watching it again. I just think that, like, let's talk about the worst part. Like, I, I will say this is the second worst part about this film. Because, uh, I mean, my worst part is something that feels like no one talks about and uh. I think is wild. But uh, the second worst part of this film is the comedy. Oh, uh, yeah. This is a weird film where it's like, I knew going into Halloween who David Gordon Green was. I knew who David and Danny McBride was. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people kind of, like, watching kind of the interviews and stuff about this film it's like yeah like these are (laughs) these have comedy kind of they have comedy roots to an extent but they're talking about how serious and how they want to take this film and also that first trailer was dead serious yeah in terms of just showing like you know it shows the journal the podcaster's deaths basically to an extent and also shows them getting back his mask Mm -hmm. and but then you watch the film and there's just moments interspersed there is comedy that, at the time, I thought was, huh, that's odd, but it's not awful. I hate it. <laughs> like, I, what, what could, can you think of one? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Peanut butter on my penis <laughs> is by far just the weirdest. I, yeah, it's a dumbest, fascinating moment. Uh, that the, the kid who talks about he wants to go to dance class the next day is a good, like, if you've never seen this film before, it catches you off guard. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, this kid's out hunting with his dad, and it's a fun misdirect because you think he's just like, you know, his dad doesn't support him, but he does. Right. Oh, that's funny. Um, Another thing is the the banh mi, Vietnamese sandwich. Oh, my God, the two random cops. Yes, who later one of the cops becomes a fleshy jack-o'-lantern with a flashlight because Michael (laughs) rips his face off. And then, I mean, the, the only joke that I think genuinely works, the only two jokes that genuinely work for me, I mean, the best gag to an extent is uh, Cameron's best friend, who's the uh, the nerdy guy that wears the yeah, yeah, yeah. costume. Yeah, when he's in the the motion detector that's lights. The, that's the funniest stuff. Yeah, that's the worth just Michael worth being cheeky. Yeah, a good yeah. good cheeky shit, but also genuinely kind of creepy and how yeah, sure. the yeah. best. That's what the film could have been for the most part. Actually, no, <laughs> scratch that. The best shit's Julian. It's the kid. Oh, it's the babysitter. It's, it's the babysat. kid. Yeah. The, ba- the, ba- the kid getting babysat. I love him, and he still he still works for me. He, the yeah, kid, he's great. The kid definitely talks like you know, not like an actual kid would talk like, but that's <laughs> not a big deal because in it's in a world where Michael Myers hasn't existed for the last forty years. So you know, it's yeah, we're already doing a suspension of disbelief at that point. But yeah, just overall the comedy. I feel like if there's anything that was pushed onto Gordon Green and McBride to do. It was like, whether it's Blum or Universal, where it's like, you got to make it more like, you know, mainstream audiences are going to yeah. really like it if you add like levity moments. And to be honest, it does work. And I think it has worked because when people talk about this film, it doesn't seem like people dislike these. Mm. Like, I mean, it's it's almost it's because like, again, how the <laughs> peanut butter on my penis, man. My I, I kind I of I, I have don't. a weird affection for the peanut butter on my penis. But the the funny Never thing I thought I'd heard you say that the str- <laughs> strange thing like the weirdest part about that joke for me is that's the only thing I remember about the dad. 
So then when I go yeah. into Halloween Kills and you've got the scene of, of uh, Allison and Karen. Uh, Karen mourning the loss of their father husband Ray. in the hospital. And they're, you know, they're like, he's still here in our hearts. All I'm hearing in my head is peanut butter. Peanut, on my oh, penis. I got peanut butter on my penis. Yeah, it's like that was the only thing that guy was memorable for. I mean, he has other. I mean, again, it's not it's, the actor. I just no. mean the, like the character. I mean, his even his death is kind of like oh, just a weird little whimper right before yeah. the climax. It's funny too because it's like the 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 track for his death is called Ray's Goodbye, and if yeah. you're just listening to the album, you just assume he's sacrificing yeah it must be some Michael. poignant no, moment this dumbass just goes outside sees two dead cops goes what happened and then just doesn't run back to the house yeah and then just gets like strangled yeah but yeah the dad is just like even after peanut butter on my penis the dad <laughs> is just so like he's he's kind of just characterized as an asshole and not in a fun way it also yeah it's also kind of i don't know if it's supposed to be implied it wouldn't surprise me but it's like there feels like there's a decent age gap between him and judy greer's character he feels old yeah he feels old compared to judy greer's character so it's like i initially when i saw and i feel bad for this actor because this actor is actually he he's great in halt and catch fire when i've seen Mm. the show he plays cardiff in that but like when i initially saw the trailer i thought that was jamie lee curtis's (laughs) ex-husband so when i saw the film for the first time i was like wait that's judy greer's husband yeah I don't know if she should take offense to that or should I ask more questions as to like why? Because <laughs> it's like, is there an impl- implication that like she doesn't have a father figure, so she kind of is into more older men? What is the what is here? Because this right. feels odd. Yeah. But then the peanut butter of my penis scene happens, and it's like, well, I don't even care then. Right. I don't. I'm not even ask this question. Yeah. It's it's such a the comedy just uh, except for Julian and the motion censored s- stuff. It is really just feels pretty forced in a film that feels like you know it's been pushed it will even outside of marketing everything up to peanut butter on my penis is taken almost like fucking serious well and peanut butter on my penis is not even really like a gag it's no. just a casual line he throws out in but like it's so background awkward. conversation <laughs> no yeah, so i'm not awkward. defending it i'm saying like it would work better if it was a gag you know but it's oh, not absolutely. it's just they're just talking, and then he gets peanut butter on his dick. Like it's, it's like, classic wow, case. what are we classic doing here? Case. And it's 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 not even on, again it, the way that it sounds like. It sounds like the man is naked. No, he gets it on his jeans. Yeah, he's wearing clothes. He's wearing he's, he's like I. It's not like he got peanut butter on his pants. He says specifically yeah. his penis. But and there it is make something. Any sense. There is something. I don't know, endearing about the specificity of him saying penis despite the fact that it's on his pants. It's like something I would do when I'm around the house. I would, like, spill something on my pants, like, ah, oh, my penis, you know, <laughs> even though it's clearly not my penis. That's the only defense I've heard of it. And you know what? That's fine. It, it's you okay. Know? But, it, it, but it feels out of place in this movie because I would say the writing is not that detailed or quote-unquote realistic the rest no. of the movie. It's, it's more also, stagey, yeah. more kind it's, of it's goofy. Also, it's also like that character is just... If he was likable, maybe, sure, but yeah. I don't think he's written he that well. He gets nothing to like latch yeah, on to. He's literally just a, a just an anchor that is yeah, being he's pulled an anch- along. Yeah, he's an anchor of Karen's like new life beyond yeah. her mother, but Yeah. And I mean, the biggest issue of this film for me, uh, cuz like again, Jamie Lee Curtis kills it mm-hmm. in this film. She just, she's it's like it's like she's just putting on an old glove and it fits just right. It's mm. It's a, it's a new era for Lori and all the little things that like you wonder. It's like, oh, they, what are they gonna do with this? 
I think work out extremely well with her. I think the way that Michael is handled is incredible. I mm-hmm. think it's fascinating that it's like the first time when it's like you see him kill a child. It's a it's a he's a teenager, but he's definitely the youngest person we've seen Michael kill on screen. Yeah, it's the dancing. It's a kid who wants to be a dancer. Yeah. Or is a dancer, and it's like seeing him just like kill indiscriminately is <laughs> fascinating and leads into what the other films will try to touch on in terms of like what kind of leads someone to do that. Yeah. Allison's a fun character. She basically is Laurie. She's the new Laurie. Yeah, she's Laurie. Because she, yeah. she gets she gets very little development, which is very similar to Laurie in the original film. Because mm-hmm. Laurie again is Laurie doesn't even get really thrusted into the action in the original film until like an hour and fifteen in. Right. She's like not. She's not even the main. She's not being followed. Yeah. She's right. being followed, but she's not the main. Like you know. She's death just or kind anything. of the last one standing. Yeah. Sort of. Just on um, by luck. Yeah. And. The thing that I think is the my least favorite part about this film is New Loomis is yeah. what Laurie talks about. Dr. Satern. He is basically, you know, Donald Pleasance died in the nineties during the during the production of Curse of Michael Myers. <laughs> I think actually during post. And so of course if they're gonna try to do kind of a reboot sequel oh, you know, kind of Force Awakens kind of thingy, you gotta have somebody that kind of fills that Loomis role. So you get a guy named Dr. Satarin who has been Michael's, you know, doctor since. Since he was institutionalized. Yeah, since he's institutionalized. And I think, like, he, he took over for Loomis at a certain point, and then, like, Loomis died, and then he became his main physician. Mm-hmm. And then ultimately what it becomes down to is uh, Dr. Satarin is a red herring. He is not going to be the new Loomis in terms of trying to stop Michael. He is a Michael Myers fanboy yeah. to an extent. He's so obsessed with him that he yeah. wants to bring about the second coming of Michael Myers. It's weirdly like, yeah, it's weirdly like he is a culmination of people who really enjoyed the sibling twist and the cult twist <laughs> of the last film. The weirdos who enjoyed that. Well, cause, well, it's not even that. It's more the fact that like the reason why I think he really exists is not just because of New Loomis. And they need someone to kind of fill that role. I think he's mainly there because at a certain point in the script, it's clear that their take on Michael has does not give a flying fuck about Lori. Mm-hmm. He just never he he's not trying to get Lori. He's not yeah, trying to get revenge just, or trying to finish the job. He is literally killing indiscriminately because it's Halloween and it's Haddonfield, mm-hmm. and he's just doing his thing. And so they probably thought it's like, okay, this is a really cool, creepy idea, but fuck. We made a Lori. Yeah, we put Lori out in the woods. Yes, by herself in a fucking home alone house that has gates all around it. Yeah. How the hell do we get him there? And so they get Doctor Satern to basically nearly kill a cop. Yeah. Take Michael's body, throw it into a cop car, pretend to wear the mask, and pretend to be Michael to an extent. <laughs> Just going, ah, Michael. Yeah. And then he drives Michael right outside of Lori's house because he believes in character that Lori will bring something out of Michael that he's never seen before. Right. And plot twist is, unsurprisingly, no. (laughs) It's just clearly like there's just like shit. We need to get Allison out in the middle of bumfuck nowhere. We need to get Michael out of bumfuck nowhere. How do we do that? Convoluted device and nothing more. Especially Um, when you think, too, that like the cop that he stabs 
is very important, at least <laughs> yeah. to Laurie's development yeah. in the later film. So it's like when he's introduced in 2018, he is practically nobody. Yeah. Other than I mean, just... the, yeah, the movie spends kind of a decent amount of time with him. Like you think he's important. And yeah. then they he say, gets stabbed, yeah. and then you don't see him anymore. Yeah. He, they, they say that he helped capture Michael Myers and don't elaborate at all. Right, yeah. And so, like, after you hear that, you go, oh, so this guy's going to have a bigger role. He'll probably die and by Michael. And then, no, he just gets killed. He gets stabbed by mm. a surprise pen knife. I guess the implication in 2018 is that he got killed. I and, thought so. Because they don't show him at all after he gets stabbed. He's just I, gone. No. I also thought and when And then they... the first shot of kills is that he's alive. Yeah. I also thought in 2018, the way that that scene is shot, I thought it was also like when Sataran drives off in the police car, I thought it's implied that he gets run over. Like oh, the, yeah. Because like, there's a bump in the yeah, road. Yeah, and it's yeah. like, did, did Sataran just run over Hawkins? <laughs> That's kind of fucked. Yeah. <laughs> and it just ultimately leads to like, it feels like there's that little chunk that they couldn't find a way to tie up properly, so they stitched it together yeah. as roughly as possible. But it still kind of fits. Yeah, and I think, and I just you know, don't like. I don't like Satern. No, I think I he's so either, useless. There's so many other ways. I, On, yeah, I thought the like. I I wish yeah, there the was a way they could have used the podcasters yeah. more and just re- kind of replaced Satern with more of them. Because I remember when I first saw the trailer for. Uh, 2018 i initially thought the new loomis to an extent was going to be the male podcaster yeah because of the way that the trailer is cut it implies that michael is going to kill his co his co-host mm-hmm. and then ultimately he might survive and then he's yeah. trying to get him the whole time because yeah. he's also interested because in you basically see the sequence where she's like yeah. gonna die in the trailer yeah. and also it, it it fills the new loomis quote-unquote vibe because it's like he's not Loomis. He is going yeah. after Michael, but he's he, just he interested in yeah. the subject matter. And that would have been interesting too, especially with where this trilogy goes in terms of like making a comment on Haddonfield and yes. the literal I mean not literal, but the kind of effective curse of Michael Myers on the yeah. town mm-hmm. and having those two outsiders be a major influence like on the story of this movie would have been, I think, a really interesting touch of them yeah. like they don't understand what really yeah. happened here i mean and, they're the you know? they're the audience's viewpoint for the first 20 to 30 minutes yeah and then they're just gone and then they get killed at a gas station which again i, I will like, say their kills i mean their deaths are good scenes yeah not only are deaths great scenes every the fact that like everything around them is just michael slowly getting his costume back and <laughs> yeah. they're just not noticing is great yeah that's a great moment and again shows again that like David Gordon Green and Danny McBride and the and the crew and the cast all are treating this very seriously for the most part. Yeah. When they get to those moments, because like, oh gosh, it is. It's just it's it's a flawed film. Yeah. And, I, and it's not that people say that it's not a flawed film. It just feels like it's a little bit uh, kind of exaggerated how good the good elements are. Well, yeah, I think I mean this movie was kind of like like everybody's basest impulses for what they wanted from a 40 years later Halloween movie. Like, Absolutely. Oh, Lori's a badass now. She's going to get her revenge on Michael. You know, like yes. Michael's back and he's killing everybody. You know, it, it checks really off is. those boxes. I just find it like, especially with where the trilogy goes, incredibly unambitious. I mean, um, it is. It, I mean, it, it's not. And, it's... and, and, and yeah, and, and kind of a mixed execution in what it does go for. It could be a response to the fact – it could be the response to Rob Zombie's H2, where it's yeah, like – Oh, it, yeah. I mean, that, mo- that such, movie swung for the fences. It literally, like 
it came to play hockey and said, just kidding, I'm playing cricket. Like, it yeah. just completely went in a direction that no one expected nor really wanted, I think, for yeah. that character. And so it's like they probably thought, like, maybe Blumhouse and Universal might have pushed, like, listen, like, you can do the weirder aspects of what you want to do in later sequels if it's possible. But as of right now, just do a good Halloween sequel. Yeah. Which is what 2018 is. 2018, I think, is a really good, I think, a good time. Um, but ultimately, I think it just, on rewatches, I think it just isn't as engaging as what we're about to talk about. Yeah. Because I think the thing, too, is we'll get this out of the way. Um, you're not going to be listening to two people that hate these two sequels. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, I mean, unfortunately, I mean, but I, I want to tell, I want to let everybody know that, like, we are not saying that if you don't like those sequels that you you, you don't like movies or, like, you suck at movies we're or any kind of shit like that. just saying you're wrong. <laughs> I fucking knew you were going to do that. <laughs> but, no, we're just talking about, like, we want to add a new perspective because, literally, it has been Again, it's not been torturous because this has not been the first time both of us or even just one of us has been on, like, the minority in terms of, like, an, like an appeal of, like, a yeah. mainstream film or something like that. I mean, Andy apparently has been drinking, you know, a nice Sauv Blanc while watching The Whale and right. shitting on Black Adam. Yeah, well, and I, time. Tr- I try to listen to fancy music as much oh, as I can. of course. You, li- you like a lot of Phoebe Bridgers. Yeah, well, whatever fancy music is, I'm <laughs> listening even, to. That's it. not even fancy music. I don't even know why I said that, but... I like Phoebe, though, but no, we just want to bring it up because I think there are such fascinating ideas in these two sequels that I think are blown out of proportion in terms of what it's trying to do versus what it does. And ultimately, when it comes to Halloween Kills, I'll go out the gate. This is my favorite film in the trilogy. Mm -hmm. I personally think this is, I think, genuinely great in a lot of areas because it just feels like David Gordon Green and Danny McBride are like, okay, we made kind of like the return force awakens kind of you know back yeah, to back to basics halloween yeah. now we're going to get real nasty <laughs> and kind of weird and just kind of dive into basically i halloween kills just feels so fan servicey in the right way at least for what i feel mm. like when people talk about halloween 2018 is it feels like i mean halloween kills has literally almost every single living character that yeah. could have been in like that from the original film back into <laughs> yeah, this. Yeah. You have references to multiple Halloween films. I mean, like you get Halloween two references, you get season, the witch references with yeah. the uh, silver shamrock mask. You get a 1978 sequence oh, in the film. That is by far the best part of this film. Yeah. I think that's one thing we can all agree on in that regard, at least. And we get, in my opinion, uh, one of some of the best tracks John Carpenter has ever made. Yeah, it's so got that's a great if, soundtrack. If there's anything this trilogy is worth watching, and I think, in my opinion, is objectively worth exist worth existing for, it's more Carpenter scores. Mm. Like my yeah. God, and again, it's not just him. Again, he's been he's been on a he's been on a music kick for a while now with his son Cody, and uh, I believe I think it's Cody's friend Daniel Davies. Hmm. And they've uh, basically they've made three they've made three albums together called Lost Themes, hmm. and have done other stuff. I mean, separately and together, but like they do the scores for all three of these films. And Halloween Kills just has some banging tracks from Carpenter, including like arguably I think one of my favorite tracks from him ever, where yeah. it's just the amount of just just the the sophistication of it, just how 
how simple it is to enjoy that track, but also like on re-listens, you just hear the little changes he makes in certain places. It's, it's it for is it the those, town versus Michael. No, bit? it's oh, that's the payback, which is my second okay. favorite. Mine's the one before that, which is unkillable, which is in the it's the the Myers house fight between Cameron, Allison, and him. Oh, and then okay. and then okay. Karen shows up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That whole thing is just like that whole track is just like banging from top to bottom <laughs> and it's just like it hits at the right moment in the film so it's like it feels perfectly scored to it and it's also like here's the thing about a halloween sequel and this is i think something that should kind of bring out some light in terms of where i feel in terms of the sequels if you ask me what is the best version of a halloween sequel my real answer is going to be no sequels because <laughs> to be honest the original Halloween is incredible on its own and works better on its own. And as soon as you kind of yeah. add more narrative to it, like you have the risk of making it very trite, basic, and mm-hmm. even just like kind of like other slasher franchises, mm-hmm. which is why, you know, something like the original Halloween 2 kind of does that, where like even out the gate, it's like, no, this just you lose the mystique of Michael when you kind of give him that motive. Like the original film, it's creepy and kind of horrifying that it's just this dude in a William Shatner Mm -hmm. mask and kills three teenagers just because he feels like it. No reason. (laughs) So when you make a Halloween sequel, if you're going to do it, in my opinion, either you go full blown, like it's just Michael fucking killing teenagers. There's nothing more to it, but it's fun, creative ways to kill teenagers because it's like basic slasher sequel 101 or you just go weird and you try to kind of build upon it in a way that feels natural but also kind of interesting Mm -hmm. and i feel like kills does that on top of i think the big thing we talk about about kills is evil dies tonight because i feel like (laughs) that's something that is kind of fascinating in terms of like this is the first film i believe since the original halloween 2 but even then it's like very small in comparison to this versions of a mob but in this film, there's a mob led by Tommy Doyle. Tommy Doyle. Who is yeah. Laurie Strode's old, like, the kid that she babysat back in 1978. Right. And Lindsay, who is played by Kyle Richards, who is the same actress that played Lindsay back in 1978. <laughs> you have the nurse from the original Halloween. Yeah. Like, basically, Hanfield gets together and makes it a pact to kill evil and basically go after Michael. Yeah. Which is... Just on an idea alone, that's enough to get me jazzed because there's only two ways you can go that route. It's either you get a great scene where the the town is just beating the shit out of Michael or Michael beats the shit out of them. <laughs> and you instead get, we get both. You get both, which is why I don't understand why you just get it. Why can't we enjoy nice things? Yeah. I, <laughs> it's I, just it's because you get, I don't know if people find it hard to believe that people would rise up like that or i think it's it's i mean i felt like it made a lot of sense given the political climate that we live in like how easy it is for fear to to turn into rage and to spur people into action i think most people thought and i think it's one of the reasons why people just get over just like you know incessantly hating this film is they think that's David Gordon Green and Danny McBride trying to make a social commentary film with kills. When in reality, I think in all honesty, like this just feels like a thing Carpenter would have done. Like it's like adding social commentary to a Halloween film is 
not out of anyone's wheelhouse. In fact, Carpenter did that with pretty much all of his films to an extent. And also almost bashed the head into it as much as everyone else did. I mean, Mm. he literally has a film that just shits on Reaganomics. That's the entire premise of the film. And it's a great film. It's It's a blast of a film. But like... With this, this is it's. I think people just think it's like David Gordon Green and Danny McBride trying to make a profound message. When mm. in reality, it just to me it felt like it is the the basic idea of like the the blessing and a curse of a mob like that. Yeah, having having a message that you think is important and is good to rise up and fight, but ultimately can get out of hand if you don't handle it properly. And, of course, in a film like this, in a group of people that are, like, mainly filled with, like, drunkards or just random people on the street, yeah. it's not going to go well when one person thinks that someone is Michael Myers and then ultimately isn't. Right. Which is what I think is one of the better moments of the film, too. I really like the scene where everyone thinks this poor man from a mental institution is, is Michael, <laughs> even though, well, he it's is, almost even like though he's, like... They choose to believe it because yeah. it's easy and it's right in front of him it's also like he's like four foot eleven yeah they're like oh <laughs> we can kill that guy he's so small and yeah. it's like what the fuck it's just i don't know it, it feels like all the social commentary stuff is not it is beating you over the head with it but it doesn't feel like in a way that doesn't feel like something that if carpenter in, a, in an alternate universe had an idea of doing he wouldn't do it in the same way yeah then, you know, i mean i that that i think is just an example of people you know the things that they love from their childhood or whatever nostalgia, they didn't register the, you know, political mm-hmm. aspect of it. Like people who think Star Wars is suddenly now political. It's um, been political. You know, yeah. yeah, that's the whole point of it. Yeah. Um, not that Halloween seventy eight was political, but John no, Carpenter no, no. has made plenty of political things and nobody gets mad at him for Which, it. Again, if um, it's like if it's like I don't want my Halloween sequel to be any what political, okay. But the thing though too is like I think another reason why people don't like it is they think that like the version of Haddonfield, like the, the mob of Haddonfield, it's like they're they're painting them in like they're in the right, like where it's like this is the like movie it, paints yeah, them in the right. Yes, which I don't agree. With. I, yeah, I don't think. So. I think the film paints the idea of them coming together to take out Michael is in the right because why wouldn't they? Because again, sure. it's a man that terrorized them forty years ago, coming back and terrorizing them again. I think it's where the execution hits about halfway through the film where it shows that like it's just it's mainly about like these people have no idea what they're prepared what they're what they're doing mm-hmm. because they're going after what they think is a man yeah. which they'll ultimately find out at the end of this film uh he's not just a man. Yeah, which... right, right. I also think that like the other aspect of the mob mentality that this movie's getting at is like Tommy Doyle is I think I mean played incredibly well by um Anthony Michael Hall. Yeah, Anthony Michael Hall. Um he's, uh, he's awesome in this. But the the vibe I get from Tommy from the moment we're introduced to him in this movie is he is a coward who drums up this spirit of rage and action around him so that he doesn't have to deal with it alone so so that other people there there is a buffer between him and the the fear because you... when it comes time for the big scene he stands back until like 15 people die and then he's like yeah. oh okay i'll fight 
it's it's wild. It's, it's also like in the scene where they try to go after the mental patient. He's like not even leading the pack. He loses. Yeah, he's he loses not Steve. leading the pack. He's also he like, admits that he's wrong. In yeah, terms of like, and, and when he's giving that, uh, well, yeah, he admits that. Yeah, he recognizes that, he that they up. fucked up, and then kind of continues doing the thing anyway. Yeah. Um, and I mean, even his his opening scene when he's like giving speeches at the bar, he's like, he's he's collecting people's sympathies and getting free drinks at the bar for his misery we need to talk about this because this is something i haven't i haven't which i think is brilliant but i don't know if everybody if that was picked up on by general audience i cannot believe that like one of the coolest i think one of the most fascinating things that this film does with its returning characters including a character that was never in the original film but they make uh, a prominent character in the 78 uh flashback sequence uh lonnie yeah. They basically make all these people who have returned or are playing characters who have returned because the original Tommy Doyle, I, th- I don't know if he passed away or if he's just not acting anymore. It wouldn't surprise me, but he's not in this and Anthony Michael Hall is playing Tommy in yeah. this. They are all people whose characteristics and personalities that we've only gotten from these films after 40 years is that they're, they've had one trauma in their life. Yeah. And that's it. And they're, they're frozen by it. Yeah, they literally, they are known as the people that have trauma, Michael Myers trauma. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's like, and it's and it's so cheeky, the fact that, like, in response to that is, like, all three out of four of them get fucking annihilated. Right, yeah. And it's, like, it's so fascinating to see, like, they, it's so cool to see in, like, 2018 when it comes to Hanfield, you see through the cops just kind of a bit of a difference in terms of the perception of michael where mm-hmm. it's like ah it's been 40 years some crazy i mean some crazy dude in a mask like killing three people like compared to a school shooting what is that and it's like that's fucked up but also very true <laughs> it very much puts things in perspective in terms of modern day when it comes to tragedy and kind of that situation and when it comes to kills you see a part of the town that if you've ever lived in a small town, you know. It's the people that have lived there forever. Yeah. Who have lived there. And so you add that element to a trauma with a serial killer. Right. And it's just, like, so much more fascinating in a way where it's like these yeah. people just haven't grown up from this moment. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's kind of a fear. really, yeah, a kind of ugly look at, yeah, that sort of insular environment of, yeah. of you know, people who – yeah, collect trauma like that and, and f- kind of are trapped in this small all, town. With all it. three films deal with, like, the idea of, like, trauma stunting growth Yeah, in a way that's fascinating, where it's, like, with Laurie in the first film and then, like, you know, the returnees of Hand like, the, the returning characters from Hanfield in the yeah. second film. And then the third one we'll talk more about with uh, with Allison. Yeah. And even, I think, even well, Laurie. Allison took, and the new character. Which, we, yeah, we will yeah. definitely get to. But... Yeah, with Kills, it's just, like, it's hard not to watch that film and just be, I'm just jazzed every time I watch it. <laughs> it's just, like, from from killing Jim Cummings, a man that we both love and have yeah. talked about on this podcast, to going to the point where it is just revealed to, to the audience by Laurie and Hawkins, who, yeah, the cop isn't dead. And also, he was involved in capturing Michael to an extent in 78. Oh, it's great yeah. to see that shit. I love that intro, too. I love like how they get into the seventy eight where it's like yeah. uh, Allison's kind of shitty boyfriend Cameron finds him, finds him and like, bleeding from the neck, which is I think is a creative way to get them both back into the yeah. narrative because yeah. they both end up in the hospital, which they run into Allison and Lori right. and all right. that. So see, that's a creative way to do that. You don't need a satarin to throw <laughs> someone into the hospital like it's right. That's a way to do that, but 
with all that, it's like at the end you just reveal what I think is the most kind of wild, bold take on Michael, which is just the basic like, yeah, Loomis was right. This yeah. guy's a fucking manifestation of evil in a sixty-year-old <laughs> man that is built like a shit brick house. Yeah, and if you treat, he's just not gonna let up. And if you beat this guy like a man, he's just gonna get up. You yeah. have to annihilate him. Right. You have to turn him into mush, and it's like so. It's just so much fun because it's like in the Halloween sequels that so many people treasure. Like the amount Which of I don't understand. I, the amount of times they find fucking scapegoats to get him like. Oh, we've killed Michael. Just mm-hmm. kidding. We're just kidding. Like, he's back. Yeah. Like the biggest icon, like the one that I think of the most that I think is fucking hilarious is spoilers for Halloween four and five. <laughs> uh, in Halloween four, the way they kill Michael is they throw him in a pit and then a bunch of rednecks throw dynamite down that pit oh. and he explodes. And yeah. then you find in Halloween five, oh, never mind. There was a hole attached to that pit. <laughs> he went through that hole and a homeless man has been taking care of him for like six months. And it's like, so there's a nod to that in ends. To okay, de- to, I kinda, didn't realize that was to a degree. kind yes. of a reference. Yeah, yeah. But even then, it's like that's your excuse. Yeah, there's a random hole in this hole, right. and he gets out, and it's like they just keep treating him like a man, <laughs> and I hate that. But they just give him the wildest yeah, excuses. They, they, he's, every Whereas time, in this, yeah. The, yeah, their their approach here is like we're not oh, going to give him an yeah. excuse. He just does it. Yeah, he's not going to regrow limbs. He loses fingers in yeah. 2018, and he comes yeah. back with no fingers. He lost an eye in the, in the original film, and he still doesn't have that eye. Yeah. like he's, he's all He has all sorts of – you see, like, half of his face in this, and he's all burned. Played by the... James Jude Courtney and the original world, the main lead, the original uh, shape, Nick Castle. Oh, Nick Castle is in. Nick Castle. This oh, is wow. this is his last interp. He's in this and actually in ends as a cameo. Which okay. is, I, I love that. Uh, but yeah, it's mainly James Jude Courtney doing a lot of that work, and I think he is fucking killing it as Michael. Yeah, there's, his physicality is great. Th- there's an energy to Michael in this film that I just love, where it's it's a mix of like there's a sadistic edge to him, but also just old man annoyed. Yeah. Like just the amount of times someone will come after him and he's just so pissed and just wants to get them out of his face. Yeah, he just like takes it on the chin and then yeah. slaughters them. Yeah, like it's you get kills from him that are just like completely just devoid of any morality and any kind of humanity in him. Like Yeah. Like you literally see this man like throw a dude through like his head through a window and like slice his neck and then they brings him into his own kitchen and tries different knives out on him to find the oh right knife. Yeah, I forgot about that sequence. That's such a good scene. Um and yeah, I just want a gif of <laughs> the wife watching her husband just get stabbed yeah. by 30 different knives. And the fact that like he's moving like a robot where he goes from knife, pause and then stab. Yeah, it's like he he's like it. in some kind of weird He's a compulsory, fucking monster. Yeah. Because, like, I mean, that's the thing, too, that I really like, too, is, like, since all three of these films are dealing with trauma, a big part of kills is people or people trying to almost imprint themselves or, like, kind of implant themselves into Meyer, uh, Michael's trauma as a child and try to figure out maybe this is the reason why Michael does what he does. Mm-hmm. Maybe something that we didn't see. Maybe something with his sister. His sister did something to him that really messed with him. Or yeah. he was just a weird kid that no one understood. And then at the end of this film, it just goes, nah, man. This guy's been. F- this guy's basically the fucking omen. Yeah. This guy is fucking Damien. This guy is evil, and he's been from day one, and <laughs> he is methodical and fucked up. And the fact that you treat this man like a human means that he's just gonna keep getting away with this. Yeah. There's like a. 
yeah, almost a thread of just like the, I don't know, the, the ignorance and arrogance of like modern civilized comforted man kind of trying to interpret this this just raw force as some kind of thing that could be interpreted or reasoned with contained contained yeah yeah because i mean like the you get a little hint of it from the the couple that lives at michael's childhood home oh my god big john little john yeah big and little john um like when when i think big john is already dead at this point and little john sees michael at the window yeah and he's like you've come home I mean, he, yeah. it's like he's like quote unquote understands it and it's like yeah. dude you, you don't know what's happening well i love i mean i loved that scene mainly because it's like a man that is just aware that he's not getting out of the oh spot. yeah yeah he's it's like when when big john dies it is very violent yeah big john <laughs> he gets stabbed death. under his armpit and that's not all his eyes get gouged out yeah with and his then, fingers yeah, and then when Little John shows up, it is just an understanding that, like, oh, yeah, if you're dead. back here, I'm fucked. Yeah. Like, and, yeah, I, I got another thing with kills that I, I don't see a lot of people talking about. There's less comedy in this film, but I think the comedy works a, a bit better in this. The comedy is more, is, is, I mean, there's, like, more... there's some slapstick uh, in oh, terms of the violence. Can we talk um, about my favorite kill? <laughs> I'm sure my, it's mine, too. Oh, my gosh. Are we talking about the car? Yes. We... There's, I will tell the story because this is, I will never not just feel unseen. Like when I saw, because I saw Kills at an early screening uh, last year. And it was in a room, like a packed room of critics and, you know, fans that got mm-hmm. to see it early. And when you get to the kill where the doctor shoots herself in the face, <laughs> I fucking cackled. Yeah. Because I went, that is so dark. And so fucked up. And in a slasher film, that is all I want these kills to be. I want this to be fucked up. And then as I laughed, I laughed by myself. (laughs) No one else thought that was funny. Uh, I thought it was hilarious. To the point where my girlfriend went, why the fuck are you laughing? (laughs) I was like, it's so fucked up. It's so funny. Yeah. (laughs) You don't see this shit in like most slashers now. You rarely see this kind of. Yeah, this movie really has an understanding of like. Just kind of the yeah this the sick pleasure that people who love slashers get from oh, slashers. Oh yeah. Oh, I'm I'm a bit of a sick fuck when it comes and, to because at a certain point with these sequels, that's all you can ask for. Right. Yeah. I mean, honestly, that's one of my problems with 2018 is like this just isn't violent enough. <laughs> like, there's just not enough wild, gross killing happening. It all kind of happens off screen. Yeah. Because like the cop getting his face ripped off and being turned into a like a makeshift jack-o'-lantern yeah, happens s- off screen. Yeah, and then when you f- see it's him, it's jarring. from a distance. Yeah. yeah, and it's jarring because it's like, how much time did he have to do that? <laughs> I kind of yeah. want to see a little bit of that. Yeah. A little in a fucked up way, but, you know. So, yeah. Oh, and the, the, the eye yeah, stab the in the car. Yeah, the nurse getting stabbed yeah. in the eye. That's a good uh, one. Uh, the flo- my, One of my favorites, the fluorescent light tube Ugh. which is not a kill because no. she does survive but no but at the time it's it, brutal again it's it's a film that feels like you know with 2018 people really liked because again there was enough time i think in between when they started production of kills and the like the reception of 2018 where they heard like people just loved how brutal and how just like straightforward he was with his killing. Yeah. And he wasn't really fucking with anybody. He really just like, if he kills somebody, he kills them. Mm-hmm. And watching kills, it's like, you get that 
tenfold. Yeah. Because that fluorescent I mean, light. He does dude. fuck with people, but which yeah. I like, but because um, you know he puts masks on his dead and oh, he's you a little, know, he's a little stinker. He's cheeky, he's, he's which I cheeky. love because like in the original, you get the little ghost sheet gag, yes. which yes. is like. Almost feels out of place with the rest of Michael's representations, but then you see kills, and it's like, oh, no, nah, yeah, he's, like, fucking around. Yeah. I mean, in Halloween 2, I, I mean, which I just recently watched the original, there is a scene where a woman is waiting for her boyfriend to kind of, like, talk to her, and he kills the boyfriend in front of you. You see it, but she doesn't, and he walks in, and she just starts kissing and messing with his hand to kind of sexually arouse <laughs> yeah. him, and he just lets it happen. <laughs> and it's just like that. He's a little cheeky. He's a little, he's a little stinker. Yeah, a little freak. He's a little freak. And, yeah, I mean, it's this. It's like, I mean... Even little things like when the old couple is just next to Lori's house, they're fucking around with the drone, and the drone gets fucked up, and then <laughs> Michael throws the broken drone to the old couple, <laughs> and they're just like, who the fuck is that? Yeah. Like, it's little things like that where it's just like, yeah, it's 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 very much it feels like that David Gordon Green, Danny McBride, and the, and the creative team are very well aware of what people kind of hope for when it comes to these sequels where it's like, yeah, I didn't ask for this. But if I'm going to see it, maybe yeah. be a little fun, a little mm -hmm. weird. Like, basically, most, I mean, if you can do, like, you know, in, in Jason, I think Friday the 13th Part 7, where, like, Jason, like, throws, puts someone in a sleeping bag and bashes them onto a tree. <laughs> there's more kills like that, kind of like that creative, cheeky darkness to it. Yeah. And that's what kills Daz. And also, it's, like, fun because it's, like, I think a lot of people overstate how serious this film was trying to be. This film is being serious, but it's still very cheeky yeah because it I knows mean, what it is. is really the serious one but even this, then this it's pretty fucking silly sure yeah <laughs> but this one i mean yeah this is yes there's the commentary about the town and the yeah. kind of the the way that hate and fear infect communities but like yeah it's really just having a good time with oh, how yeah. fucking evil and violent michael is it's, and how dumb all these people are <laughs> and it literally is like they just find out that what he's doing the whole night is just he's just trying to get back home yeah he's just trying to go to his house and look out the window again. yeah he's just trying to look out that window again just to see haddonfield or at least what you think he's doing yeah. and it's just it's just fun to watch i mean i just think it's fucking funny when lonnie brings his son and his son's should be X, but I think let's say they're still technically dating Allison and Cameron and goes like, no, I'm doing this alone. And it's like, this feels very noticeably like they're, <laughs> they're making fun of characters that feel this way where it's like Lonnie at a certain point, kind of similar to Tommy and, and uh, Lindsay and even the nurse. Cause the nurse pretty much asks for it. Yeah. They're all just kind of want to die or kill him. Yeah. And if they don't even think they have a chance to killing him, they just walk right into death. Yeah, because Lonnie what gives else do they no have? fucks. Yeah, Lonnie gives no fucks, and we don't even see him die. He's no. just dead. And the nurse, the nurse fucking dying is phenomenal. Yeah, this is for Loomis, and then just like gets bashed in, <laughs> just killed. And that that poor woman has played the nurse a few times and actually dies as the nurse in H two O. Actually, brought yeah, they brought her back. She's like the opening stinger in H two O. But yeah, it's just I don't know. I just think it's I think I hope. This is how I, I always think it'll hope. get a reappraisal. Yeah, this is how I hope most films like this are, where it's just like, I'm not. This is not fucking Citizen Kane. This is not a phenomenal film. This does have issues, and it is just kind of. It is a bit rushed in places, but at the same time, it's like what it's trying to do, and it's in its grand scheme of things, I think is a fun little twist on what a Halloween sequel could be. Yeah, which is why I think this like. 
all three of these all these trilogy films kind of have the vibe of like what if we did a halloween sequel kind of like back to basics what if we did a halloween sequel that is like okay now we've done the back to basics how do we make it more interesting while also not using the fucking siblings twist yeah and you know and then three we'll get to but at the same yeah. time it's like they all kind of have the vibe of like i mean gordon green and danny McBride, they are trying to do something different yeah well which I, I appreciate think, i think kills is where you start to get a better sense of like their vision for what they're trying to do with halloween sequels because i think i think the 2018 i mean yeah you have you have badass lore you have traumatized stunted lore but like the film doesn't really have a ton to say about that or do with it mm-hmm. um other than set up the climactic showdown and then in this film you get the sense that they're kind of trying to take a look at like you know what what would a small town look like after this happened to them and how are they going to react and how does how does the effect of that kind of evil permeate throughout the town which is then expanded upon more in ends which we'll get to but you get a lot of that here up front and it's Um, clear that a lot of the ideas that are in kills it was not like 2018 didn't have these ideas or weren't going to have these characters because there are moments in 2018 that are just an inkling of what you get yeah which are expanded upon and kills i mean there are characters you see in 2018 like the doctor and the nurse that show up in 2018 in a very single scene the oneer mm. they show up in the oneer as they're going to the bar oh. and that's the only scene they're in but they are more prominent in kills and they they kind of sprinkle in these little things like we'll touch upon that and like you know later stuff but ultimately like what it comes down to is just like it's just a fun halloween sequel mm-hmm. i just it's hard not thinking like you're taking crazy pills where it's like i saw it in theaters and was just like oh my god this is just so wild and insane <laughs> and so nasty this is like fun mm-hmm. like okay and then i walk out and it's just like woof am i right and i'm like Who, who's woofing that because <laughs> like everyone i've nearly shown this to like when i rewatched it for this podcast it was like Everyone we were like watching together, both rewatched and new. It was like newcomers. It was like we were just having a blast. Uh-huh. I still cackle when the doctor shoots herself on accident. Oh yeah, that shit's just still funny. It's still slapped. It's still it's so well paced and executed in those scenes, and like the introductions of Michael in those scenes are like when they're comedic, they're actually really well done. Yeah, like I I mean again with Big John, Little John, when it's kind of introduced, someone's in the house and Big John picks up the tiniest charcuterie knife possible. <laughs> And you know, he goes, fuck this, takes yeah. off his robe, shows off yeah. his muscles, and then grabs the tiniest little cheese knife. <laughs> fucking great. And they're, I think they're watching Pink Flamingos. Yeah. Fucking John Waters film while it's like Halloween and they're getting high. And when the kids at the playground are introduced, they're kind of making fun of like, oh, there's this guy. We think he's a pervert. It's so weird. Isn't it funny? And then you turn and just fucking Michael standing <laughs> next to the car. And oh, my God, it's just. It, it harkens back to the original film and a lot of its shot composition and choices. It makes a lot of references to other films in the series, but doesn't let that hold back their fun, new, kind of weird ideas. Because I think the idea of Michael being a manifestation of evil is something that, like, okay, if you're going to do that, cool, that's awesome, but you have another film. What exactly are you going to do to expand upon that? And that's when we get into ends because ends is an interesting situation because when Halloween 2018 came out, it was introduced about a few, I think a few months, maybe even like half a year later, Universal announced that the saga of Michael Myers and Laurie Strode isn't over yet. 
and you're supposed to tune in on October 15th, 2020 for Halloween Kills. And then the mm-hmm. next next October, Halloween ends. Right. Well, they shoot Halloween Kills. They get it, and turns out what happens in 2020, we all know. We don't have to fucking talk about it. The pandemic. Mm-hmm. It happens. It kind of it pushes back the release by a year. And in the process of them finishing kills but having to wait to shoot ends, David Golden Green and Danny McBride and the rest of the writing team, because there's two other writers added for ends, and the creative team itself just kind of talk about, like, well, what if we tried this? Because the one thing that we haven't brought up yet that it was, I think, was selling point for a lot of people when it was initially announced that they had the sequels was that the trilogy was all going to take place on the same night of Halloween 2018. So Halloween kills and ends are basically just going to keep going in that same night. And the original ending for kills, which actually got released later, about a a few weeks after kills released in theaters, they reveal that the end of kills was going to necessarily and basically be like Lori gets out of the hospital and takes the knife, takes Michael's knife and is going to go after him. Mm -hmm. And that was going to be Halloween ends was going to be her tracking him down. And, Instead of doing that, during post-production, they decided, what if we didn't do that? Which kind of changes a lot. Because, <laughs> you know, going into Kills, it's it's the mindset that they're going to make a third film that's in the same night. But ultimately, when they finish Kills, they decide, like, what if we had a time jump? What mm-hmm. if we try to do something different? What if we try to do something very fucking weird? And they ran it by, apparently they ran it by John Carpenter. And Carpenter was like, hey, I mean, if you want to do that, do that. Which, at a certain point, it's like people are like, oh, Carpenter was being nice to them. And it's like, Carpenter doesn't have to fucking be nice to anybody. (laughs) He's a cratchety old man that likes playing video games and wants to do a Sonic the Hedgehog film. The man doesn't need to be nice to anybody like in that regard, especially with Halloween. And so they decided to have a four-year time jump. So instead of it being Halloween of 2018, it goes to Halloween of... This year, Halloween of 2022. And what we get this year is a trilogy ender that is, in my opinion, clearly not what this series was supposed to end on. But, nevertheless, definitely the most fascinating of these three films. Mm. Halloween Ends is, it's no surprise why this is the film that is pissing the most people off out of the three (laughs) films here. Yeah. Because I think while people watched Kills... I hope that like people that were still pissed at kills were like, well, hey, at least you know I got some banging kills out of it, and you right. know Carpenter's got a new score, and you know Jamie Lee Curtis has some great lines. Great, that's awesome. Whatever. You get into ends, and just out of the gate, there is a there is an energy in the room that is vastly different from the other two. <laughs> it is it is a feeling that like, okay. So let's, I mean, it's, it's a feeling to me that I was like, okay, I genuinely have no idea where we're going with this. Because <laughs> I didn't see any marketing for this film other than the initial trailer. Yeah, I'm I not, just, not even sure I watched that. I mean, it's, it's, I saw that initial trailer and they practically only show the final fight. The Lori stuff and, at the end. Yeah, yeah, little stuff with Lori and some stuff with Allison and just like, it felt like a weirdly cut trailer. And I did understand why, but I was like, hey, I'm going to watch it. Not only because we're going to do it on the podcast, but because, you know, I want to see. This is the first time a Halloween trilogy gets to end a way that at least the creators wanted it to to an extent. And so here we are. 
Halloween Ends does this wild fucking thing where it introduces an entirely new character in its <laughs> opening moment. One of the most banging... I think... Is this the best scene in the whole film? I'd call it one of the best scenes in the whole trilogy. I, yeah, um, I would say it's one of the best scenes in all of Halloween, Pomp, sure, probably. Sure, sure, yeah. Like, in terms of just how it's shot, how it's executed. Yeah. It's, like, super tense. Yeah. Also, in case we have to reiterate, uh, I know this film has only been out for a week, but we are definitely full-blown spoilers. We're oh, going, we're going yeah, right yeah, in. Yeah. Oh, we already said that, like, an hour ago, but I just want to make it very... Very clear. The <laughs> only way we can talk, anyone can talk about Halloween Ends is by spoiling the shit out of it. Yeah, because like you described, the trailers do not sell this movie for what it is. Or the poster. The, like yeah, it's, it's, it is, this movie is not what it was billed as. This is a film. And in that sense, I think some of the, some of the frustrations from people are fair because yes. they were surprised. Oh, yeah. But I also think this film has a lot of merits that people aren't giving it credit for. I agree. I Halloween Ends is a film about a man who was ostracized for an accident he didn't mean to commit. Basically yeah. killing a child he was babysitting. And ultimately, due to being ostracized and being treated like a monster, even though he wasn't a monster, inadvertently gets pulled into meeting Michael Myers. <laughs> and basically has the darkness in him awakened Kind of, yeah, yeah. I mean, and it's, yeah. The film is basically about the effects that the saga of Michael Myers and Laurie Strode have had on Haddonfield. Right. More so than Michael as a character and Laurie as a character. Laurie has development as a character, but it's not to the same extent as like 2018. It's more right. emotional, maybe emotional development. Yeah, I would say she's anything. a more fully developed like dimensional character in this than she is in either of the previous two. Yeah. But a lot of that is kind of explained to you. Like it's, it's done kind of, I mean, cause there's a time lapse at the beginning of yes. this movie. Yes. And a lot of that happens for her in that time lapse. Um, yeah. It's, it's basically, it, it basically the film opens after, well, after that's wild opening, it's yeah. bold ass opening. It has Lori basically explaining that unsurprisingly, the the failure to capture and kill Michael Myers has basically led her to reevaluate everything she's done in her life up to this point. Yeah. Because her whole goal was to capture and kill Michael Myers, and she couldn't even do that, and th- Haddonfield couldn't even do that. I think it's also yeah the element of not only did the whole town fail, um, you know, after forty years of hiding and preparing and wanting to kill this guy, all she gets out of it is a dead daughter. Yes, because a big part about Halloween Kills, which was always planned. This yeah, is I guess we didn't that, talk about that, yeah. but yeah. Because <laughs> a, a big part about Halloween Kills, which I will say is one of the weaker parts of Kills, because Karen as a character is not that. given Not given a lot, but Judy Greer does a good amount with the very little she's given. In Halloween Kills, it is, after CNN's basically implied that Karen is going down a dark path mentally due to the death of Ray and just like her mom being wrong. About, like, you know, we could kill them if we work together, and they don't. They failed in their mission. And so, ultimately, when she is going lower and lower, kind of in her own, I think, self-esteem and her mentality, she decides to give in to the mob, make a plan to trap Michael, and ultimately fail, and then ultimately die. Mm -hmm. And because of that, it, it does put a new perspective on Lori as a grandmother as well as a mother, because at this point, she only has one living family member. Mm -hmm. 
and it also changes and recontextualizes Allison as a character because yeah. a big part about Allison in this in Kills is the fact that like she never really believed that Michael was that big of a deal until you know she got stalked by him and also got killed like all the friends died her boyfriend her boyfriend got fucking annihilated, annihilated right in front of her and that guy props to him the guy uh, Dan- Dylan Arnold who plays uh, Cam- Cameron Elam yeah. Uh, which I love that his, his both him and Lonnie's name are Elam. Okay. The, that guy in Kills just gets fucking annihilated and sells it like no yeah. one else. And I props to him, but it's basically just following the after effects of the first two films while also giving kind of a cap off in terms of how do you, I mean, how do you truly end this kind of saga with Laurie and Michael? When in alternate, like when in reality, there are like honestly multiple ways to do it, which is kind of the one of the things that the difficulties that David Gordon Green and Danny McBride and the other writers had because it was like basically the ending of this film had like four different interpretations. Mm-hmm. There's one where Laurie dies. There's one where uh, Corey lives. <laughs> there's one where you know Michael is still out there even after all this. Yeah, like it's. They had kind of an RPG slew of options. Yeah, well, because a big part of, like, and, uh, again, I, I, I read a lot of stuff with Dame Gordon Green because, again, after seeing this and kind of really enjoyed it and then seeing people just, like, shit on, of course, the writing team and David Gordon Green about, like, he has no idea what he's doing. He was just, he, he doesn't respect the franchise and all that kind of shit. And just listening to him talk about, like, the thing about ends that I think it is either make or break the film for a lot of people, which it most certainly has broken people on, mm-hmm. is that he said, like, we wanted to do something weird. We thought it would work out, and we were really confident in it, and we think some people will really get it, but we also knew that it could risk alienating a lot of people. And ends does. Because mm-hmm. this is a Halloween film where both of the, the heavy hitters on the <laughs> boxing match, cage match poster that it kind of shows are ultimately not interacting for the majority yeah. of the film and it's and honestly also not super vital to what's going on in the film. No, it's what's more vital is the actions from the past films that both of them have committed yeah. and the yeah. ramifications cuz what's so fascinating is what they what Gordon Green and McBride decide to do is basically have two surrogates of, you know, the Lori story and the Michael story by using like how each side of that story has changed their personal lives, mm-hmm. which the Lori side being Allison's story and the fact that like Allison is just like in the past four years, just as I think is slowly becoming what her grandmother was post the first yeah. Halloween in terms of being very a shut lot of off. anger. Yeah. And, yeah. Angst wasn't able to really be a teenager because all of her fucking friends died <laughs> and she didn't go to college. Yeah. And there's Corey who ultimately had plans of what he wanted to do after college. He was 21 when the incident happened, which in the film is implied that, like, you know, Michael hasn't, I mean, it's not implied. It's pretty much outright said Michael's got nothing to do with what happened to Corey, which is basically a kid dies in his watch on accident a year after the events of Halloween Kills. Yeah, I mean, basically, Michael coming back and murdering half the town and kills basically just kind of implants a permanent state of paranoia in the town fear and death yeah yeah. people are afraid of of michael people think kind of more 
grandiose things about the bad things that happen in the town. Uh, you know, there's there's a series there's a series of killings, and people are like, "Oh, is Michael back?" And it's like, no, it's just yeah. the people in your town killing each other. Um, yeah. There's there's just kind of an infection in the town, basically left by Michael Myers and everything that happened. And so when when what happens to Corey happens, it's kind of assumed, oh, you're evil. Without saying out loud, they basically treat him as the new Michael. Yeah, I mean the town does not just yeah. not the movie really. The, yeah. the town just kind of ostracizes him as yeah, you're a monster because this mm-hmm. kid died and you did it. And ultimately, what happens with him is just like you see him go down this dark path, and you can't help but be like, yeah, like it makes it makes fucking sense in yeah. this universe. It really is. It's wild because what ultimately happens is it leaves michael to be basically in the back seat of his own story but ultimately it's still much about him because what's happening is you were seen because yeah it's It's about his legacy like the effect he has because again it's shown in ends and i think it's one of the best choices they could have made and it's going to be one of the most controversial i guess choices overall the film makes is that michael is fucking old yeah and beaten and regardless of how much you know fear and death like kind of infuels him there's only so much that can happen after you know a whole night of just getting his ass burned (laughs) beat and cut like his body being burnt to shit and blown up and it is very clear that like what they're trying to do is show like only way that michael lives on like genuinely in the hearts of haddonfield is if someone possibly takes the mantle because while he is an evil like the manifestation of evil he still is in a physical form. He's not a ghost. Yeah. He's not a demon. He's just a guy that only just wants to harbin. Right. He's a harbinger of death, but he's still a sixty-year-old man with three fingers on one hand, <laughs> living and one in a eye. sewer. Um, so it leads to well, and yeah, and and the town ultimately, whether they admit it or not, kind of wants that. They want a new Michael. That's, yeah, that's why what happens to Corey happens because they want to assume that anything that happens like that is a Michael Myers type evil like it yeah i will yes and i will reiterate this is the third film in a series where it starts with peanut butter on my penis and then has a middle film where it's just michael annihilating people in gruesome but also kind of funny ways at times yeah. and to end on such a somber note to somber an extent and kind of contemplative yeah like, it's fascinating yeah and I, again, when I say fascinating, I'm not saying as if it's perfect. None of these films in this trilogy are perfect. But yeah. I think one way that I saw someone talk about it, and they were talking about a complaint about the film, but I find it as a much more as a fast, positive thing. As a guy, and in an interesting way, yeah, I think it's a positive, especially in terms of approaching this, where it's like someone was like, God, now that this trilogy is out, it feels like it's backwards. <laughs> where it feels like it really should end with the home alone house and start with this fight right, right. and it's like yeah that but it's certainly be more conventional it'd be even more conventional but i think it's kind of more interesting that it ends on such a low stakes note yeah i gotta love that and i kind of love the commitment well, and that the the kind of thoughtfulness of it is all oh, yeah. at the end it's again it's a this is you don't have to like it mm. i'm just saying that like this was intentional like this yeah, is right, yeah. this because like, I know a lot of people probably like the studio like got their hands on it and it's like no, like David Gordon Green outright says like yeah we kind of wanted the third film all the, to have a love story, yeah. just always even oh, when it was initially like you know yeah no I mean I think last year Jamie Lee Curtis said this one's gonna piss everybody off, 
And I, and I, you know what? God bless her. God bless her. I'm glad that she gave everyone that warning. And I, and it is, it does piss everybody off, but I also think it's something where it's like, it is, it's, it's just such a fascinating film. I, I mean, if you yeah. want, if you want me to give you flaws, I think there's easy stuff where it's like a lot of this is rushed. There is a lot of exposition that needs to kind of be built up because again, we're getting a very new character, mm-hmm. very new dynamic not even just between Laurie and Allison, but like Michael and Laurie and Laurie as a person and all these characters that yeah. are still alive. What are they doing four years ago? So there is a lot of, you know, not backpedaling per se, but there is a lot of just kind of like getting up this hill to kind of get to. Yeah. I mean, we, we get and, a lot of Laurie and her mindset through narration. Cause she's writing cause a book, she's writing a book, um, which makes, which I think doesn't work for a lot of people. I thought it was, you know, maybe one of the clunkier parts of the movie, but I still thought it mostly worked. Um, yeah, it, it, at, it feels at the like stage she's in in her life. Yeah, it feels um, like what else is she gonna do? <laughs> right. Yeah, she she's healing. Um, uh, yeah, it's like and uh, yeah, I I think for me maybe the the weakest. A lot of people cr- criticize the dialogue and that sort of thing, and which I I understand, but also I. feel feel kind of like that's every halloween movie is like the dialogue's not gonna be fucking shakespeare you know it, it's it's all just a little it, bit clumsy and clunky and goofy I, I, and silly I've, and yeah i think what i've heard about the clunkiness is the angst sure the angst and i, and I will admit that the relationship between allison and Corey is rushed and it does feel like out the gate if yeah. you if you are not to me because like I've, I've had i've had conversations about this and about like because people are like, why the fuck do you think this works? Like, why do you why do you think Corey and Allison work? And it's like, in my mind, the reason why this works is there are two reasons why I think like a romance like this would work. And like one is like, if it's not because of the time, if it's because we don't have the time to like slowly build their relationship, if we really have to kind of get to the finish line to an extent, yeah. what is the reason why this is moving so fast? And that's where I think the second factor is really what gets it. And that's trauma. Yeah, both I, they are trauma bonding hard. Yeah, I think it's this very movie, clear. I think this movie does sell effectively how these two people met at a critical point in their lives and mental states where yeah they just they found someone who was in a similar state of angst and resentment for the world mm-hmm. around them and could could bond in that in like a surprisingly sensitive and vulnerable way for a slasher yeah, movie like she i mean um allison literally says like you i when i looked at you i just saw you like it's the first time in a while that i think i found somebody that looks at me and sees just me and not sees everything i've been through in the last like four years yeah there's there's and some like i think impressively just poignant stuff where characters are allowed to just be people yeah. In this movie, and you can say what you will about, just, you know, the dialogue or how fast it happens, but it's like I, you don't get this in a movie no, like this. I will like, clarify, and I try I've tried my best to clarify this to people, and it's still not enough, and I understand uh, why, because it's it, you have to see it to believe this. Halloween ends as a character drama. Yeah. It is fucking wild. It's a character drama that has Halloween deaths. Right. But it's not the main focus. The main focus is really about like if we're, it's really just like looking at Haddonfield as a community, what how it can affect people, and like yeah. the the main thing that it like shows up is, and I think I think it gets away with this in a way that I think makes a lot of sense, and I think people are, 
I, I've been seeing a lot of very cinema sinsy takes on this, and it's like <laughs> I think you, I think we just need to settle down. It's not, it's not out of nowhere. Where yeah. it's like you know there is a scene where Corey like you know hallucinates Lori talking to him, and basically just like is him trying to process what he's going through, and it, it admits that like there are two ways that evil can be kind of like manifested in people. It's born in them and they can't control it or it's through, it's basically through trauma. It's like a parasite. It's yeah. an infection that like, you know, something happens to them where they maybe not, they didn't start evil, but a trauma, a traumatic incident. Right. I wonder what that fucking was. And just yeah. like, basically it infects you to a point where like you either, you know, acknowledge it and you try to work better as a person and try to fight that or you give in. And when you hear that, even though the fact that it's not supposed to be actual Laurie and it's just like Corey trying to talk to himself about like what he's doing, it also recontextualizes how Laurie and Allison are living their lives in a way where it's like, yeah, this feels very reminiscent of like what we've seen so far in terms of the survivors. Yeah. And where it's just like you just kind of keep moving on with like or you just kind of. Let it take you, and I think with Allison, you see that it's it's slowly taking her more and more, especially the more she hangs out with Corey. And with, with Lori, it's just she doesn't want to fully admit that that darkness is there and is probably not going to go away. Yeah. And it's like, I mean, that's a big part of it. It's like, does, if you kill Michael, does everything go back to normal? And the answer is no. <laughs> no. Not without not without discussion and also not without a grand gesture, which this fucking film has one hell of a grand gesture. And it is, it's a very, I think, I mean, out of the three films, I think it might be the slowest pace wise. Oh, I don't, yeah. it's not, and I don't think it's a bad thing. Right. But I ultimately, because again, to me, it's like when I watched this initially in theaters, because I've seen this now twice. I saw it on Peacock, which it's exclusively on. If you're yeah. looking for streaming services. Well, not theaters. Yeah, you know, well, I mean streaming. Come yeah. on, and we're not a we're not a plug for NBC Universal. I just wanted to make a joke about that. But I saw it in theaters, and then I also saw it on Peacock. And when I saw it in theaters initially, when I realized what the film was trying to do, I went, "Okay, all right, I'm down." Because mm-hmm. again, I've said a thousand times on this fucking podcast, and Andy knows this ad nauseum. I'm the kind of guy when it comes to ideas like this. I prefer you swing for it. You swing for the fences. You try to get that home run, even if it might not happen. If you're going to really go for Michael as the manifestation of evil and it infects anybody that he looks at (laughs) or just, like, touches to a degree, like, what does that look like? And ultimately, when they start doing, like, the uh, Michael showing Corey how to kill, it is just like, I am vibing with this. Mm -hmm. This is just interesting. This is... I'm not getting, like, you know, the kills I thought I was going to get, especially after kills. But, you right. know, this is just – but then it amps it up a bit more. I love the scene with the with the doctor and the new nurse. Yeah, yeah. The, the nurse who gets a promotion. I think that also has my favorite track in the film, which is literally called Corey and Michael, <laughs> where it's like, you know, the lights are turned off. And then when the nurse turns on the lights, you see Corey stabbing the doctor yeah, and the, the music yeah. kicks on and then – you see Michael do his uh, I at this point I think his iconic stab into a wall. Person yeah. hangs head pin tilt. Them, pin them to the wall. Yeah, pin them to the wall, and then you see Corey just like just fascinated by this fucking beast right. of a man as he's slowly getting more and more. And just as it's going on, it's just like at a certain point I was just vibing with everything it was giving me, and yeah. I was kind of enjo- I was really enjoying it. 
But then at a certain point, I went, okay, if this is where it's going, though, how is this going to end? Yeah. Because it's like, because to me, I think going into it, I think I always had a bit of a pit in my stomach where it's like, I, they can't kill Lori again. They've already done that in yeah. Halloween as a franchise, and I feel like they're not going to do that again. But if they keep her alive, they can't just kill Michael normally. They can't just, like, have him get stabbed and they bury him. Yeah. Like, even if it's under cement, it's not going to be enough. Like, they got to do something <laughs> different. And what they do, I think, I thought it was, as of someone who has seen his his ple- a plethora of good, bad, and absolute dog shit slashers, mm-hmm. I thought the solution in terms of how to deal with Michael at the very end yeah. was, fo- I loved that. Yeah, I thought that was great, that too. That felt like And years... that they made it a moment for the whole town was yeah. good, like a good kind of follow-up to kills in that life. Yeah, because the big thing about this film, too, is like the finale is basically Corey pretending to be Michael. You get some uh, fucking banging kills mm-hmm. from Corey. Corey only kills a few people in this film, but my God, when he goes for it and he pretends to be oh, Michael. the radio DJ was awesome. The radio DJ is so funny and fucked. Yeah. That is that is, uh, that is Doctor shooting herself in the head uh, yeah. like yeah. element. Uh, that and uh, Band Kid getting a torch to the mouth mm. in the foreground yeah. so you can't see it very – Yeah, it's like, like out of focus. It's blurry, yeah. but you know exactly what's happening. Yeah. And the poor girl getting her head smashed in and like <laughs> – the poor stepdad that gets his head blown off, like it's just like there's just there's so many things happening in this film where it's like I understand because I think a big thing that's like again I watched this with my second time I watched this with my girlfriend, my roommate, and my roommate's girlfriend, and unsurprisingly I liked it the most out of the four of us. <laughs> I get that, and uh, and <laughs> my roommate, I mean, I mean Adam could not understand why I liked it. He was so perplexed because it's like yeah. there's no like, there's no Michael. Well, it's yeah, like, yeah, but like the movie there is almost and completely it's... abandons the like Lori Michael conflict until the end. So it's yeah. like I'm sure that's what he was looking for in the movie, I, and you don't get that until that's, the very I end. I think most people, yeah, yeah. I, I and I get because like again, you know, like he was, I think he he definitely disliked it the most, but he sure. didn't he didn't hate it. Like it wasn't like a zero out of five or anything like that for him. But out of the four of us, he disliked it the most. And then I think his girlfriend, who she was like, yeah, I just, yeah, I didn't, I didn't really like it that much. And it's like, okay, yeah, that's fine. And then my girlfriend basically went like, you know what, I'm never gonna watch it again. But I didn't regret that experience. I gr- <laughs> I liked watching it. And I was like, okay, like, yeah. and that's honestly, it's kind of I think the more realistic expectations with watching this with a group of friends. <laughs> This really is a fun film to watch with a bunch of people because it's like you literally will get so many different reactions from people yeah, about this. And yeah, yeah, and it also it also depends on how much you see marketing because again, right, I think my yeah. roommate saw much more marketing than I did. Yeah, and I going did. into it, he was just he was just like, it doesn't. This is not at all what was advertised. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, I get that, but at the same time, that is not that is not the filmmaker's fault for that. Yeah, it's an entirely different department. But I get that, like, yeah. When it comes to something like that, you run the risk if you're a marketing team that goes for an approach like that. You run the risk right. of alienating people who weren't expecting yeah. something different. I mean, I was honestly glad. Not only did I not see trailers or anything, but like, I was also glad I didn't watch Kills like again right before seeing this. I watched Kills last year in theaters and then didn't watch it again until after I'd seen Ends. Yeah. Um, so it was not like fresh in my mind mm-hmm. and i th- i think like a lot of people probably watched kills 
shortly before watching this and yeah there is a i mean there's a hard halt on the momentum going yeah. from kills into this oh yeah oh that yeah I, that i didn't really feel because it had been a year since i saw kills and i you know memory was fuzzy or whatever and i just showed up and took ends for what it gave to me and didn't really have like a lot of of expectations necessarily i think honestly like I, I really liked all the Corey stuff. I mean, uh, I, you know, shaky writing or pacing and all. I loved, like, I loved the first three quarters of this movie. I think the weakest part of the movie is its ability to tie the Laurie Michael stuff back <laughs> in at the end. The stuff that everybody else wanted from the movie, I felt like ended up being kind of the the damper on the movie. Um, I don't. Uh, I don't think it's bad. I think what we get is mm -hmm. good, and I like the ending. But mm -hmm. it's just kind of like, okay, when we finally do get to the point where it's now Lori v. Michael, I'm like, Jesus Christ, this is not the movie we've been watching for the no, last it's true. Yeah. hour and a half. Like, no, yeah. And I, and it kind of feels like, well, we did all that Corey stuff, and now we're just back to ground zero with Lori and Michael. Okay, guess we gotta. And it. And I think it again. It's very clear that this was not the initial intention sure. of the film in terms of like what it was initially pitched as. However, I think it's fascinating that like ultimately what the film becomes is like you think the entire film is going to be like this is one for us. We're making something that we think is you know something that is really trying to deconstruct Halloween to an extent. Haddonfield as a town. How does this really affect yeah. this and that? And while it is, it feels a little out of place sometimes tonally. At the same time it's much more fascinating than you expected. And then the finale is like, all right, we'll give you this. Yeah, we got to do the thing. Yeah, But at the, at the same time, though, I really do like how, like, I mean, to me, and again, this will be something that will be interesting in, like, you know, the future when people talk about this film. I I thought the ending was just, like, that was all I, I'll, all I really needed was, like, the scene in the junkyard when Corey pretends yeah. to be Michael and the finale in terms of, like, quintessential or, like, standard Halloween shit. Uh-huh. Because, like, ultimately what happens is just, like, the procession, I feels like, this is this is what this character honestly deserves. Yeah, yeah. Like, this is I what like, he needs yeah, to I do. I love that, yeah. And I think it's, like, it's one of those things where I think they do a f good job trying to toe that line with, like, giving the audience what they want, but also what, the, what they personally think might be interesting. Mm -hmm. Where it's, like, I... Because there's definitely a version of this film, and I think they even talked about it, where, like... It just ends with Allison and Corey riding off in the sunset. <laughs> like that's a possibility, and they yeah. were just like they 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 went like there's no way we're not doing that. Like we we need to do it in a way that like we need to end Lori in a sense that feels like she has control over her own narrative, right? And finally gets to put to rest all the, you know, the claims that she bullied a mentally disabled person into killing yeah. so many people, and like it was all her fault and. You know that she is she's the cause of all this. When in reality, the reality is, is like this is this happened because Haddonfield didn't take it seriously. Then they tried to take it seriously and failed miserably. Yeah. And then ultimately, the more that they linger on this evil, they're only going to become worse and worse and create more people like Michael. Yeah. And so they ultimately end it where it's like, it's a nice ending to the film we've been watching, but also like a solid finale to just like at Halloween kind of trilogy in general, especially for, I think, especially for Jamie Lee Curtis, especially for someone who has just been in the trilogy, who's been in the franchise for so long. Yeah. And has been like, Oh, you should come back. You should come back. And it's like, nah, I'm, I'm good. And then she comes back. <laughs> 
and it just she has an energy in this film that I don't think shows up in the first two because she is trying her best to be normal. Mm-hmm. When ultimately at the very end of the film, fucking love that like they do the this to me the uh, the suicide fake out to the end is like. Oh yeah, yeah. You, yeah, you cheeky bastards! Yeah. You're giving like the you think suicide I, is great. You yeah. think I kill myself and then just shoots Corey? I mean, again, yeah. I I also love the fact too that it's like in all three of these films, you kind of get the the energy of like the Star Wars sequel trilogy in a sense of terms of like bringing back characters for a purpose for this and kind of turning things on its head and yeah. doing this and whatnot. And I think with ends, I like the idea of just like. We're we're giving that the ending that they just des- that she deserves, but we're also not going to pretend like this should end with Michael trying to kill all of Haddonfield. Like in right, reality, yeah. the Michael we've created has no tie to anything. Yeah. So what better way than to get him to fight Laurie than for him to follow his protege and go, "Nice try trying to pass that torch, buddy, but this is my <laughs> torch," and then just snaps his fucking neck. Yeah. And it's just like, okay, then we'll just again. I understand that too because again. Red Letter Media has now also been like one of the only other people uh, th- to like to it. like it. Like yeah. groups that out, like openly say they liked it, and it's also like lo- watching them talk about it too. It's like they're clearly also watched it because like they've seen the Halloween sequels and they're yeah. like, I'm fucking sick of this shit. I don't give a fuck about Michael. <laughs> yeah, they're like, we're not gonna pretend that this franchise is mostly good movies. No, and they and they like the fact that it's very Michael less. Which I yeah. think is interesting because, again, I think it's we're seeing two separate sides of that spectrum where it's yeah. like you get that and you also get people where it's like if it has no Michael or very little, it's not a good Halloween movie. Yeah. Which is fucking ironic considering that like Halloween 3 season of the witch has been retroactively kind of appreciated, appreciated more than just the approach of trying something different in a yeah. Halloween sense and just to see them try something different. And also clearly have season of the witch and that boldness as a inspiration to the point where like it's fucking font is the font of Halloween ends. <laughs> yeah. Like it's, yeah, it's I, again, it do. I, I, like I said earlier, I like when they swing for the fences. I don't think it's a home run overall, but I think it's just the confidence and the attempts. I can't yeah, help, but really ambition and like, yeah, we actually want to bring this home and say something mm-hmm. with it. And, and it also, it implies at the end, the finale of this film after, the grand finale of basically Michael getting shredded to fucking meat. Yeah. Where it's like, this man is never coming back. He could be the manifestation of evil, but he doesn't regenerate. This yeah. is a body. The film in, in establishes that, you know, in this universe, in terms of their interpretation of Michael, Michael is just one of many forms that takes on the, the shape of evil. Mm-hmm. And, of course, it ties back into the fact that he was called the shape in the original. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, it also... I also just love the fact that it just kind of ends the same way that the first film does, but without Michael, um, uh, gosh, uh, breathing heavily. Because oh. the original film ends with, like, Michael escapes, and it's like he could be anywhere. Mm-hmm. And then it's just shots of, like, interiors and exteriors of him with heavy him breathing. breathing yeah. And then the end of this film is doing the exact same but it's not having his breathing, which implies that he is fully gone. Yeah. Ending with his mask being on in Lori's office yeah. and then Don't Fear the Reaper blaring. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's, 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 again, I, and I, I talked about this with my roommate Adam, where it's like, I understand where you're coming from and I'm not saying you're wrong, would not say that. I get it. I'm just saying where I'm coming from personally is from a man who has seen nearly every single Halloween film <laughs> and I will take when we, tr- when, 
a film tries something different. Yeah. And when it also tries something different and actually kind of succeeds yeah. in a lot of ways. Yeah. And yeah, I, I think this is a film that I understand, again, why people are not overly satisfied by it. But at the same time, I've seen it two times. I still enjoy it. I think I, I could rewatch it again and just kind of find still little tidbits. Like there is a there is a gag kind of in Kills that doesn't really get kind of uh, – that doesn't kind of get resolution to an extent until ends – it's a silly gag, but like in kills, there's a there's a family called the Mullanies, mm. and they say nobody fucks with the Mullanies, right. and it ends the first big kill by Michael is Officer Mullaney, <laughs> and he even says nobody fucks with the Mullanies, and it's yeah. like, it's little tidbits like that where it's like, I just don't think as a trilogy this is really this is not this does not end the franchise. God, if this ended the franchise, good. Like I can't really think of any like if if oh. if Resurrection didn't kill the franchise if Curse didn't kill oh, the franchise you mean, yeah kill the franchise yeah. I was like no that's I what mean, I this meant. feels like an ending <laughs> no no this is this is yeah. absolutely but you an mean ending. like kill the 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 viability yeah. of the franchise because that's the thing too is like Jason Blum has outright said no we are thinking of making more Halloween films <laughs> and just hasn't elaborated on what that means if it's in the same yeah. universe or it's Michael again I feel like but at like, this point you have to either you know, like like make it a different like a, a remake or a or a new interpretation like I don't think you can continue oh, yeah. the, the I agree. no I agree but I, I just think it's funny that it's like this is not a situation where we don't get Halloween. Like it's it's not like we don't get Halloween films like every decade. Yeah. Like when people talk about kills and ends, it talks like we're never gonna get a Halloween film again. They're gonna end it on such a low note. And it's like one, it's not really that low. It's just different and very yeah. somber and quieter, which I get. For a finale is different, absolutely. Yeah. But at the same time, again, like I said, if Season of the Witch didn't kill it. If Curse of Michael Myers didn't kill it, if Resurrection didn't kill fucking Halloween or yeah, H two, this definitely this isn't. absolutely won't. And I I'm I am curious to see what if they do more Halloween films in the near future. God, I hope it's not in the near future. But if they right. announce that they're gonna do more, what their approach is, because it really does depend on if it's in the same universe. That's gonna be fascinating. Yeah, doesn't mean it'll work, but it could be fascinating. But yeah, I'm kind of. I'm I'm kind of at the point I'm like I I like since I liked this as an ending I'm kind of like yeah I don't 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 make another Halloween movie for a while give me ten years I don't care like I'm not clamoring for a new interpretation <laughs> like this one's good I like it keep yeah. it I mean hey I mean if there's something that we can't talk about that it is in the can that we will probably talk about because it was <laughs> announced. Um, in the response to kills, even after the response critically it got in the fan response and whatnot, Blumhouse announced that not only does it have the rights to The Exorcist, but fucking David Gordon Green, <laughs> who did this trilogy, is going to write and direct The Exorcist trilogy with Ellen Burstyn, the mother from the original Exorcist, coming back. Yeah. So you best believe, as the boys that have gone through literally every single Exorcist film, whenever that fucking starts happening, uh, we're going to have to tackle that. But I'm curious to see, because in my opinion, I think David Gordon Green does a solid job of yeah. kind of instilling like what Carpenter did so best in the original, but giving it a modern twist enough that like it appeals 
to a wider audience than like yeah well i also i mean i also think something like the exorcist might be more in line with his strength than something like halloween i I mean actually yes as much as as much as i enjoy ends and kills i do think he's his style or his nature as a filmmaker has felt a little bit at odds with the genre at times and like you know his best movies are like okay stronger which is a character drama and you know he's he's got some decent comedies in there pineapple Mm -hmm. express but like i don't know his his forte does not feel like slashers so something more atmospheric maybe a little more character driven yeah might be right up his alley which it it would be fascinating just to hear kind of people i i know it just feels like i my my spine just got a fucking chill thinking like the first exorcist like reboot film comes out it feels like Halloween ends, but better yeah. than people like Screen Rant or other companies like why Halloween ends is basically the proto right, right, David right. Green Exorcist. Right. And it's like, yeah, I don't need you to say that out loud. But <laughs> yeah. yes, I guess. Yeah, I mean, honestly, it, like ends made me feel like yeah, you could do Exorcist. Yeah, I mean, honestly, Cause it's yeah. a character drama and I, it's I, a little more somber. You could literally probably go back to when we were doing the Exorcist episodes last year and hear me say, like, I don't really know if he could do an Exorcist trilogy. <laughs> and now I'm like. Yeah, he did a character-driven. You know, he is. It was. It was flawed, but fascinating, and I think it works in more ways than people give it credit for. Yeah, Yeah. let's for especially for The Exorcist, which is a film that, looking back at it, is very much like it is pretty straightforward and Mm. not that scary as much as you think in terms of its reputation. Until it starts getting scary, and then it's like, oh fuck. Yeah. You. It's it's, this atmosphere it's the atmosphere it's It's, chilling it's chilling it it uses it it holds its punches until the very best moment to pull out some of the best shit you can think of of that era and i'm really hoping that david gordon green sells it yeah i don't i i'm curious to see if any because i don't think reagan has been announced at all which oh right uh anya taylor joy No, but it's just like that because that's a because I I wouldn't be surprised if the reason why uh, the actress is escaping me and it makes and it bothers me. But the woman who plays Reagan in Exorcist one and two, oh, but yeah. uh, she um, gosh, it's going to bother me until you look it up. But <laughs> it, it it doesn't surprise me that she hasn't been announced because I feel like if she was people were just going to be like, oh, he's Linda just, Blair. Yeah. Thank you. Now I'm mad that I didn't remember yeah. that. But I think the reason why they haven't casted Linda Blair or maybe even asked her yet if it's a possibility is like they don't want this to be compared to yeah. his approach to this or the right. approach to Halloween where it's like, oh, he's just going to do the Laurie Strode thing again, but with uh, Reagan. <laughs> and it's like, no, I, I think just having Ellen Burstyn's a fascinating edge because it could possibly just be like a she's involved inadvertently indirectly and then becomes a direct kind yeah, of yeah. approach to it. And it'd be, it'd be fascinating because it's like, like if you would, if, I mean, like our last year, Halloween episodes, like it is, it, I mean, it, I mean, it truly is. I mean, was it Halloween that we did exercise last year? Or was it August? I'm trying to remember. Uh, God, what did we do? I, I think we've had this conversation. So I think many that times was a summer thing. It might have been August. It might have been July, August. Yeah. yeah. But like when we did the Exorcist films, it was like there is there's a lot you could capitalize on. I, I don't know if it's necessarily in novels, so you can't you don't really have that kind right. of resource. So it's it'll be curious to see their approach to trying to make you know their follow up to the scariest film of ever <laughs> made. So yeah, yeah, that's David Gordon Green's Halloween trilogy. We are two hours in. Oh yeah, and uh, yeah, 
it I mean specifically two hours and six minutes in, which is makes it one of our longer episodes in a while. But that's kind of what happens when it comes to a trilogy that neither one of us like when we announced it initially, we were not expecting a third film to be like this where it's like, yeah. well, this is going to be interesting to talk about because there's just so much to unpack <laughs> in terms of the approach to how it was marketed in terms of the approach in the film itself, like how it deals with trauma, how it deals with, you know, pacing tone, like, cause also, yeah, ends is the most serious of yeah. the three. Yeah. And it, it feels weirdly like it kind of, it works, but mm-hmm. it's still shocking. Yeah. How just like, no, this is, this is not peanut butter on my penis. <laughs> this is, Kid fell from three stair, three stories. Yeah, they're they're all dead. three pretty different movies. Yeah, and even though they're from the same director. And I'm down for that. Yeah, I'm okay with that. And I think I think it'll be if ends will be a film that, again, I don't love the film, but I do really enjoy like you know aspects of it, and I think it's fascinating to go this route. And I hope in the future people will give it that rewatch and be like, shit, maybe I was a bit too hard, but mm-hmm. you know. Halloween Four is still the best. Am I right, boys? No, I'm just kidding. Like I, I really just think that like I think the reason why we both like kills is like one, Andy has very little connection to the Halloween yeah, sequels and gives sacred to and me. yeah, and gives little to no shits about it. Yeah, and I've seen practically all of them, and I give little to no shits about staying consistent with those <laughs> films because they were rarely consistent to begin yeah. with. I mean, in all honesty, like best mask of the sequels, like. Yeah. Uh, the Michael Myers masks fucking blow in like There's so many it, bad like, ones. Yeah. And like four, four through it's like kind of amazing how few, like how few movies there are in the series where Michael actually looks cool yeah. or scary. Like, I love how, like, I mean, I, I get why people enjoy four. I do enjoy four. It's a, it's a fun time. It's still very schlocky, but fun. But Michael's mask is so fucking pristine. <laughs> and it also looks nothing like it does in the original film. Yeah. It just looks like a dude. <laughs> Yeah, and so it's just funny to see this like the attempt to kind of keep uh, consistency when it can't even keep consistency in its own mask development. Yeah. So yeah, that was uh, that's Halloween, and that's our spooky season. Yeah, it's, you know, it's Spooktober. Yeah, it's Spooktober. It's almost over now. It almost is, but that won't be the last time we talk about you know kind of spooky kind of films because our next trilogy in November. We are going to be talking about, you know, uh, a stop motion director that has dealt with, you know, a a Halloween classic as well as, you know, I think a modern kind of like, you know, go to Halloween film if you're looking for something more kind mm-hmm. of off the beaten path. And as well as a in between all of that, a film at ad- a book adaptation that uh, kind of scarred a lot of kids, I think, at <laughs> our age for very specific reasons. But we're talking about the works of director writer henry selick we're doing the rise of selick mm-hmm. a stop motion director that is known for nightmare before christmas james and the giant peach Coraline, and then of course it'll be already be out by the time our episode comes out but the upcoming wendell and wild which is a netflix exclusive stop motion film yeah and it's his first film in because uh, i think yeah because Coraline's like 2007 2008 yeah, so 15 yeah 15 years and uh apparently he did a video game in between direction wise which is cool but uh yeah we're we're gonna talk about 1993's nightmare before christmas 96 is james and the giant peach and 2007 2008's uh Coraline. 
in honor of his newest release because it's i mean as much as we like talking about spooky stuff and spooky season you can you can talk about some you know halloweeny kind of sure. stuff and yeah in the outside fall of that. And, yeah it's still fall and yeah got more time to actually watch these things together so yeah. we could like talk about that right, as well right. but yeah so on november 12th we'll be doing the rise of selic and we're super excited for that and you know we will definitely have more in november as well we are planning on having uh two episodes and a frequel so three yeah so three. you'll see a lot of us next month yeah. we were we were a little more vacant this month but we're making yeah. up for it absolutely putting our time in uh i i'm very excited for not only Rise of Selic, but what we want to do afterwards yeah. for November. But tune in on November 12th when we have the Rise of Selic trilogy. But as always, I'm Logan Selwash. And I'm Andy Carr. Thank you so much for listening. Bye. <laughs>